Hi, I'm Kyle. And I'm Trevor. And welcome to Catching Up on Cinema. If you aren't familiar with the program, Catching Up on Cinema is a film analysis podcast wherein we introduce each other to films, expand our cinematic horizons, and, in essence, catch up on our cinema. So, it is the month of February 2022, and we are in the midst of our Not Made in America mm-hmm. event month. Uh, essentially, what we've been doing from week to week is uh, reviewing, quote, uh, from the American perspective, uh, foreign films uh, that at one time or another have been adapted uh, in American remake form. Uh, so we've covered a variety of uh, European films up to this point, and as it so happens, uh, the trend is continuing this week, and uh, Kyle had the pick this week. So Kyle, would you care to let our listeners know uh, what film it was you chose to review? Yes, this is another Criterion release. Not intentionally. I didn't actually didn't know that Funny Games was a Criterion uh, release, but this I did know was a Criterion release. This is Insomnia from 1997. Uh, it's a Norwegian production directed by Eric Skoldberg. I'm sure that I'm not saying that correct, but that's the closest that I could find. Um, starring Skellen, Stellen, Stellen Skarsgård. You gotta put the K in the last name, not the first, not Skellen. Um, and then some other people with hard to pronounce names. <laughs> Skellington Sarsgaard. Yeah. Um, and this, of course, was remade in what, 2002, 2003? 2002. 2002. Yes. Uh, man, we were just, it, it was the time for, uh, for remakes. Um, yeah, it was remade in, uh, 2002, and it starred Al Pacino and Robin Williams and directed by, uh, Chris Nolan. And you actually, I, I saw it when it, around the time that it came out. I didn't watch it recently, but you actually just rewatched it as well. Yeah, actually, no. It was a first-time watch for me. Ah, so you uh, had no idea about this story at all. Yeah, I went in totally gotcha. blind. I didn't even know a basic plot description. All I had to work with was um, the poster art, which is of the American version, ah, mind you, okay. which is just Al Pacino in a fog bank brandishing a handgun because it's America, Ooh, and, and, yeah. <laughs> and this is how we have to sell our films. Uh, we need to put a handgun on the cover, otherwise, like, a good half of the country is just not going to give a shit. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, that was literally all I knew about the movie. That and um, its reputation. Mm. Um, I actually didn't really know much of anything about the original version, but the American version um, is kind of like a, like somewhat of a, like a favorite film uh, for a friend of mine. Oh, really? Um, he listens to the score like over and oh, over the, okay. of the American version. Okay. Um, both films have tremendous scores, by the way. But um, he he really appreciates the American version. I'm sure. Same goes for the European version, but he was always keen on pointing out to me that it's like, you might want to check this one out because okay. it, it has it has a vibe to it that really works. And it was, um, I think I misspoke last episode at the conclusion oh, I, of last episode. I <laughs> misspoke about something too, uh, and I'm going to correct that. But go ahead. Okay. Uh, well, my my flub, as you know, tends to happen when you talk about things for two and a half hours without a break. Uh, <laughs> uh, I think I said. Um, Insomnia was Christopher Nolan's first feature. It's actually, I think, his second. Uh, yeah, Memento. Was, Memento was his first yes. one. Yeah. Um, but I haven't seen either of those films. In I, fact, I just saw Insomnia last night, so I guess that exonerates me. I've been Benjamin buttoning uh, Chris Nolan's career for the most part because I started with his like uh, like with Prestige and then the Batman movies and then went back and watched. Um, oh God damn it! Uh, I never watched the first. I don't remember watching the first Batman very well, but I remember like. Starting at the Prestige and then going back, I believe. Well, I mean, that's very appropriate considering the nature of a lot of his films. Yeah, yeah, I mean, right. I mean, the man is kind of obsessed with time. Mm-hmm. Um, and more than that, there's a few other elements of insomnia that seem particularly personal to like his filmography on the whole. Like the concept of like a, uh, a hero 
or a not not necessarily a hero, but things happening uh, just out of clear view. Mm. Where like Batman, for instance, is yeah. a superhero, but he's also somewhat of a clandestine entity in Gotham. Like he's not he's not parading around in public all the time. He just kind of swoops in in the shadows and, mm-hmm. and takes care of things just out of. As out of is, your, your view. As he is one to do. And yes. a lot of his movies deal with stuff like that. Like Inception deals with people slipping into people's minds. And Tenet deals with some nebulous organization that's apparently saving the world on repeat till the end of time. <laughs> um, it is interesting. Uh, well, I want to correct the record real quick. So I said that um, Riz and Jizza were in um, Thank You for Smoking with Bill Murray. It was not. It's Coffee and Cigarettes. They have a scene with uh, Bill Murray and Coffee and Cigarettes. Not thank you for smoking. Sorry about that, folks. Uh, but the idea of it's it's funny because yes, he does. He likes to fuck with time. Like that's just his thing. Um, and this movie does do that, but it's it's different. It's in the cinematography. It's like how the shots are edited, and it's just kind of playing with you a little bit. Um, and it's not so much the film is about timing. It's just the way that some of the shots are. Yeah, uh, it's really wonderful stuff. Um, it's so incredible to behold if you're paying attention. Mm-hmm. Um, but this is not a movie that is meant for passive enjoyment. Um, I, I could totally see somebody, like, if you're dicking around on your phone watching this, I could see it coming across as totally stale and boring. Yeah. Because, like, from a substance standpoint, like, the story, and, and this was admitted even by the director and the star themselves, is not especially anything to write home about. No. It's, it's more the devils and the details. Uh, the way the film the film is constructed is, in my in my opinion anyway, kind of the the real star of the show. Like like the narrative is kind of like okay, yeah. but but the way the film is put together, if you appreciate the art of filmmaking, uh, it's really incredible stuff. Very subtle, but very really 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 incredible stuff. If you really key in on it it's like a it's just like a key mistake made by it's just like one mistake is made by the main character and it just snowballs and that's really what you're paying attention to as far as the narrative is concerned because we see who the killer is and it's like the most anticlimactic thing you could possibly think it's just like yeah here he is i'm just gonna have a conversation with him Um, because that's not the point of the movie really no absolutely not yeah um but yeah uh, would you care to give like a, a plot description for this one kyle actually i think i'm gonna read the plot description i think oh that's yeah the, uh, i think that's the criterion standard yeah i think we, we should we should do it yeah that's yeah the best we, we tend to hold criterion to a higher standard yeah um, it, it, it's just it's just wise <laughs> um so i'm just gonna read the plot some of the first plot summary on imdb is the one that i found that was most appropriate um in a norwegian city with a 24-hour daylight cycle a swedish murder investigator has been brought in on a special case Sleep deprived, he makes a horrible mistake, which is discovered by the killer he has been hunting. Okay, yeah, I feel like that's pretty I, straightforward. That, that was probably the right choice. Just, <laughs> just straight up reading that. Um, yeah, in terms of plot progression, uh, you're very much locked into the perspective of a single character for the most, for the majority of the film, and it even translates into the cinematography. Like uh, Kyle and I actually both watched an interview between Stellan Skarsgård and. Our director, uh, whose name I'm, I'm not going to attempt to pronounce, just like without Eric, with, <laughs> we're yeah, call Eric. director Eric. We're on a, we're on a first name basis with him. His name's Eric, <laughs> director Eric. Um, and in this interview, like they they mentioned the cinematography and how they took special care to kind of like lock the camera into the eye level of of the main character from from moment to moment and scene to scene, mm-hmm. and it really does kind of 
usher you into like inhabiting his headspace. Yeah, like it, it really it really works well like from a filmmaking standpoint. But yeah, in terms of like the the actual events of the story, though, it's like like on paper it doesn't sound especially amazing. But like when you watch the film and you really pay attention to the details of it, it is kind of an amazing film. Um, I think that uh, like originally the uh, so. Stellan Skarsgård is playing the uh, Nor- or the Swedish detective who's come into Norway to help with this case. And originally that character was supposed to be Norwegian, but when Stellan Skarsgård got the part, they realized he was Swedish and they actually used that in the script. And I think that is a, it was, a, was an excellent thing to do because of the gun aspect. I yes. thought it made it really interesting for the story because at the time, I don't know if this is still the case, it might still be, um, Norwegian police were not permitted to carry weapons, but Swedish police were allowed to. And he actually, um, he brings a gun with him um, on his carry-on, and nobody knows that he has it. Yes, and they they actually do take special care, like, through the blocking of certain scenes when he's unpacking his lug- luggage, for instance. Like, they do take special care to demonstrate that he is concealing that fact. Mm-hmm. Like, that he has the sidearm with him, that he has a pistol on him. And, yeah, actually, it's mentioned explicitly in dialogue in the film, the the difference in custom of, mm-hmm. of one one country's police carry and the other one doesn't, um, but it was further confirmed in that interview mm-hmm. uh, between director Eric, Eric. <laughs> and star Stellan Skarsgård. Yeah, um, that 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 in my like to me that that was a really interesting little cultural detail. Mm-hmm. It's like it's very important. Yeah, very important. Well, and also he's he's meant to be a little bit of an outsider, mm-hmm. and he he does stick out, and and adding elements like that. Uh, Especially when we get to the plot catalyst, like it, it really does intensify the drama for a film that really doesn't go too far out of its way to be loud or be explicit with its drama. And he's not a likable character. Like you, you're kind of rooting for him near the end a little bit, but um, he kind of redeems himself a little bit. But he's kind of a creep uh, throughout the film. Yeah, actually, like I, I mean, I'm not going to be doing this the whole time. Um, but I will point out like a few key differences between this and the American version. I was prefacing that, yeah. Yeah, uh, there's a there's a couple of key differences uh, between this and the American version. Uh, the climax of the American version is radically different, um, mm. but there's also some details in the characterization of, and some of the events earlier in the story that um, I think it was sanitized to some degree, like to make it more palatable to, yeah. to your average American moviegoer. Um, how many fucking movies within the past month have we done that involve bad things happening to dogs, Kyle? Oh god, I didn't even I didn't even not even We're see up to coming. three now. Yeah, We're it's... up to three in like a month and a half, man. <laughs> I I'm sorry. Both of my criteria choices have been doing bad things to dogs. It's yeah, it's not okay. <laughs> but, well and what's funny is they're all European films. <laughs> <laughs> They've got it out for German Shepherds, dude. Yeah, two Austrian films and now a Norwegian film. Uh, so, uh, folks at home, if if uh, bad stuff happening to dogs is not something you can handle, um, maybe maybe skip this version of the movie. I will yeah. say the Christopher Nolan movie is quite good, but it is a very very different movie. Um, it has a lot of the same plot beats. Um, it omits some some major plot beats, yeah. um, as well as characterization notes, and the climax is totally different, but. Um, on its own merits, like if you divorce it from the original, I, I think it's a solid, solid little movie. Yeah. Like I, I quite, I quite like it. Plus, it's Christopher Nolan, so it's very handsome to look at. Both films are very handsome to look at, even mm. though 
they have very different pa- textures yeah. and color palettes. I love. I really like the color palette in this film. Uh, kind of a whitish blue, like like the whole the whole thing. There's a haze throughout it that's yeah. very consistent, and it goes. It falls in line with the themes and the the state of mind for the main character really yeah. well. Um, both films are very very handsome to look at, but um, if I had to give the nod, I'd give it to this one. Although the Nolan one does have some really amazing sequences like the the opening aerial shots like flying over the glaciers very batman begins like mm. um same director he likes glaciers he, he likes <laughs> glaciers he likes glaciers um and then the uh the uh the log chase mm, i forgot about the log chase the yeah. log chase is a fantastic set piece um that that was totally just a brand new element that they brought on that uh, it's shot and executed exceedingly well but um, yeah, so we have dog stuff, and then uh, his creep factor yeah. is significantly dialed back in the American version. Again, probably, probably to sanitize it a little bit and make it less ambiguous as to how you're supposed to feel about him. Yeah, I guess in this film, like the idea, and I think it, they, they kind of hit hit on it near the end, was that after the case is resolved, um, the chief is just like, "I'm glad that we brought you in here. Like, you have such a reputation." You know, like you like, per, uh, they don't necessarily say at the beginning, but you get the sense that he's such a good detective or inspector that they're bringing him in because his like his record's just perfect, and there's a reason why his record's perfect. That we kind of learn, oh, there's probably a reason why he has such the reputation that he does. Yeah, I love that those those closing remarks like just are like stabs in the heart. Like mm-hmm. it, it's all kind words delivered with a kind expression, but like in context, like in, in that setting and in that moment, it's like, Oh my God, you're just like throwing salt in my open heart. wound. Yeah. <laughs> it's rough. Yeah. Um, but we should probably get to the movie. This is actually a hard one to take notes on. Yeah. I wrote a fucking novel, man. <laughs> well, I, well for me, it was just like, I wanted to pay attention. It was hard to like look down and like scribble something down because the movie is pretty fast paced. It's only like, uh, an hour 40, hour 48. It's, I think it might even be slightly less. Oh, it might be an hour. It might be 97 on the, on the nose. Let me check. Yeah. It, it's like, it's in the 90 minute range. Um, so that was welcome and it does sure. move quickly. Oh, um, it's 96 minutes. Yeah. Yeah. The American version is about a half hour longer. Of course it is. It's a Chris Nolan movie. A Chris Nolan movie with front credits, by the way. Oh, really? That's how you can tell it was early in his Fucking career. loser. <laughs> and I don't think he had settled on his font just yet. Um, one thing about the director, uh, he has done almost nothing else that I'm aware of, except Prozac Nation is the only other thing I know of his. But he doesn't really seem like he works in America, and he doesn't really done much at all. No, uh, he has a handful of credits. Uh, this was his first feature, by the way. So mm-hmm. this was his feature debut. Um but I did look up. Uh, he has a movie called uh, Narvik, um, which is about World War II. Uh-huh. It's about like Norwegian freedom fighters uh, defeating the Nazis um, uh-huh. early in in the European engagement of World War II. Um, and apparently, it's coming out like next month. Okay, uh, so interesting timing. Nice. Um, but yeah, that that movie sticks out on his filmography because like if you just look at the poster art for it, and I think Bill Campbell's in it, <laughs> uh, the Rocketeer. Wow. <laughs> um, it it doesn't seem like his flavor of movie. Uh, so it's like uh, in terms of like scale and budget, it seems like maybe a a, a weird step up for him. Okay. Um, for a guy that you know has his feature in the Criterion Collection, and it's a it's a small, very small movie. Like it's a very intimate drama film, but. Now he's doing fucking World War II movies. <laughs> That'll work. But yeah, he's still working. 
uh, but he his output has not been super like consistent over the years. Um, I'll just say the uh, the actors real quick, just to give them, you know, yeah. Uh, so we have, um, of course, Stellan Skarsgård playing Jonas, uh, Sphere Anker Ozdal playing Eric Vick, uh, who I really liked and I wish was in this more. He looks like the uh, like the Norwegian version of the big tall bad guy from Die Hard Three. Yeah, a little bit, yeah. a little bit. Yeah, uh, like a combination between him, Targo, I think was the character's name. Um, in Die Hard with a Vengeance. They had the same accent. <laughs> and, uh, and the guy that has that uh, Roosevelt quality to him from The Thing. Like the, the station chief. Yeah. With I the handgun. Yeah, I remember. Yeah. <laughs> I can see that. Um, Maria Matheson, which she's... It's Tanya, but she's not really in the yeah. movie. She's in the beginning part. Uh, Giskin Armand, she plays Hilda. She is important to the film. Very. Uh, she is the inspector inspecting. <laughs> um, and then I think the other two that are worth noting are Bjorn Moen, who's Eilert, which is the decedent's uh, uh, girlfriend or boyfriend. Um, and then Maria Bonavi, she plays Anne or Anne. She's oh, the, the, receptionist. the receptionist. And then um, Marianne o. Ulrichsen is Freya. And then Bjorn Floberg is John Holt. Troya, the oldest teenager that has she ever existed. Is 40 years old. She dude. is 45 years old. <laughs> I think she just has unfortunate bone structure, but yeah, she, she is just... fucking 45, man. <laughs> she is, yeah. She is. She is not. Scene, as soon as he showed up to the high school, I was like, hang on, she's a student? She is not a student, dude. <laughs> Are you fucking kidding me? No. Yeah, no, she looks very old. <laughs> yeah, she looks. Worn is, is the unfortunate <laughs> <Haggard>. word. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but yeah, thanks for giving us the, the cast there, yeah. because I'm not going to be able to pronounce most of those names, nor am I going to be able to recall them, but um, there, there, there it is. There, there it is. Uh, uh, but yeah, our movie begins with a, a grody opening credit sequence mm. that it has like a very uh, home video kind of feel to it. Like the, yeah. the quality of the film stock looks grainy and... Maybe. Out of focus a little yeah, bit. Yeah, it, it has a very grimy quality to it. Like think like seven. Think think David Fincher on a budget. Um, think think of the videos from Sinister when he's watching the videos. It's kind of like that, like projection. Fucking <laughs> Norwegian bagul. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, we have a grody opening credit sequence, and the the old computer font they used here was interesting because mm. it. it it goes in line with that like shot on video kind of quality to it and it looks like we're watching like a snuff film or something mm-hmm. and it's it's a lot of like tightly framed shots of a young woman who appears to be at first like enjoying herself and then uh, some gloved hands are laid on her and it starts getting violent mm-hmm. and there's no real sound it's very very muffled mm-hmm. um, but yeah she she's getting uh, thrashed here like she's being or having her head bashed against a wall and whatnot um and then we get a sequence and the credits are still playing out here of what i wasn't sure in terms of like the timeline if this was pre or post uh murder um but it's a it's a cleaning it's almost like it looks almost like ritualistic like, so it does look like it was an accident like he was bashing her head up against the wall but she ends up hitting her head on a nail that we see and she's got like a hole in the back of her yes. head um so yeah it uh he says later that she was still alive but we're not real sure we're just assuming that she is dead so yeah he's doing cleanup on her like he's scrubbing her fingers for dna uh he ends up washing her hair um and he takes her clothes and he apparently abandons her naked 
Yeah. So it's con- it's absolutely confirmed, like without a doubt, that this is all transpiring after she's she's dead or or at least unconscious. No sexual assault. That's a plus. That was like when the yeah. Yeah, we get dog stuff, but thankfully no. Well, we got a little bit of sexual stuff. Oh, I meant to the to the to the corpse to the to the woman who passed away. There was no sexual assault with her. Yeah. Yeah. This is not the dark backwards. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Thank God. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, check. forgot about that. Jesus. Yeah, God. folks at home, check Whew. check out our review of the dark backward. It's a doozy. It's a doozy. <laughs> uh, but then we we cut to uh, our our quote hero, um, our protagonist, uh, Stellan Skarsgård. Um, I was referring to him as Angstrom. Uh, Angstrom. I think that's his last name. Oh, I could be totally wrong on that, but that's what I was picking up. Anyway, um, it's him on a plane ride. And uh, I think it's over the PA on the plane where we're introduced to the concept of the of the midnight sun. Yeah, the the land of the midnight sun. Yes. Yeah. Um, so what this what this is referring to is um, in uh, northern regions of the world, uh, there are certain times of year where uh, you don't get any darkness. Mm-hmm. Um, I believe this this film actually was shot in our director Eric's uh, hometown. Yeah. Uh, he said that as much in. Um, in the interview he did with Selwyn Skarsgård, and I thought that was really fascinating because, mm-hmm. goddamn, he knows how to shoot his hometown. <laughs> yeah, he said he knows it. He knows it like the back of his hand. Like yeah. he knows everything about it. And he said his his father was a builder of sorts, so a lot of the architecture in the town probably his dad had a hand in the planning and the construction of it, and uh, the shot choices and the way they the way they make use of the landscapes and whatnot. It, it's a very handsome film, um, and the the architecture. Uh, that's exhibited throughout the film via like all the traveling shots and whatnot is very very consistent mm-hmm. um, so i don't know how selective they had to be to maintain that look and feel but good on them. they did a great job but um apparently this these were conditions that this was his hometown so they were very familiar to him mm-hmm. uh, so this idea of having a two-month stretch of every year just be fucking sunny 24 7 uh, was not foreign to him but like Again, good on him for recognizing like the storytelling potential that could come from setting a, a story in this in this particular locale. But um, it's very interesting because this concept is is relayed to us very subtly. Like like I I think this was the only mention of it I caught really. Like how do you recall many instances of, instances of characters talking about this? Um, no, it comes up more, I think, in the Nolan remake. Like, I remember Al Pacino, like, asking, like, how do you sleep? Like, how do you handle this? Um, yeah, I, it doesn't really come up. Yeah, it, it, it's interesting how it's like, again, the, the film is, is trusting the viewer to, to have some measure of intelligent, intelligence and engagement with the material. Mm-hmm. Because you can put it together, like, when you start to notice, like, days are passing and we've, we have yet to see darkness. Mm-hmm. It's like, huh, I think it's just one of those towns. Um, whereas, yeah, in the Nolan version, we have a joke made at Al Pacino's expense where he, he wants to, like, pound the pavement and, and go interview witnesses and Hilary Swank has to tell him that uh, it's, like, ten at night. And he's like... What are you gonna do? <laughs> what? Uh, yeah, I've actually was in uh, Alaska around this around the time where um, this was. It wasn't uh, light the whole entire day, but like basically the sun didn't go down, so it would get dim, but the sun would actually never actually go down. It would just come back up again. So it was that's of, that's mean, it's, man. Yeah, it's that, I would 
I would be very angry at the sun. Yeah. Like, that's not cool, man. Like, th- Kyle, 30 Days at Night, are we going to review that someday? Of course we're going to review okay. that someday. Because I know that's been on the docket, like, since we started. I'm just curious when the time would be right. I want to do an assortment of different vampire films, but that's definitely one that I'd like to cover. Uh, and then, of course, Bram Stoker's Dracula, uh, which, that might be one of the longest episodes that we cover. <laughs> Yeah, I might have to sit down for that one. <laughs> <laughs> it could be a while. Um, I like this relationship that he has with his partner, Eric. Uh, so he's flying in, and he like we're just kind of like focusing on his face, and we come out, like zoom out, and he's got a guy's uh, head just resting on him sleeping. Um, but yeah, I like their uh, relationship. He's the only one that he's kind of friendly with, because he's not a friendly person. Like He's just not a warm character to be around. Um, but I like how he just like reaches into his pocket and pulls out a pen. To write something down, uh, that gag comes up uh, later too. He he pulls like binoculars out of his jacket. Doesn't ask for it. He just reaches in and gets it. Yeah, it it shows like a, a closeness and mm-hmm. a camaraderie that um, I'm I'm guessing this was like a note from from the American production studio. It's like yeah, we can't have that. Mm. It's like it's like why? It's like because we don't want to like imply anything. It would be weird. Yeah. It would be weird. This is the early two thousands. <laughs> we are not crazy about gay people right yeah, now. Yeah, ha- like having a grown man rest his shoulder on rest his head on the shoulder of another grown man. That's gay, dude. It's we can't a, be having that. No, man, yeah. that's just not cool. Yeah, it, we're being sarcastic. Yes, yes, we're, 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 yeah. <laughs> sarcasm. <folks. laughs> just so you know. Yeah. But yeah, um, this is a major difference for the American version. Where no, they don't. They're like. They take it to such an extreme that they're like sitting on opposite sides of the plane in the American one, yeah. where it's like, no, no, you will not be anywhere near each other. Plus, plus, it's a Christopher Nolan movie, and their his movies are notoriously kind of sexless. I was gonna say they're almost asexual. Like, there's the only one that we kind of get it is the third Batman. Thing. Yeah, yeah, and and it's it's done tastefully. It's, yeah. it's it's basically Bond sex, and then he he ditches her right quick <laughs> it's like wow that wasn't cool batman toot it and boot it uh, <laughs> uh yeah so we, they they touch down uh the uh, they don't have his luggage at the airport of course um and then we get them heading off to the hotel or to the police station yeah. where they're headed to first yeah, still in scars gets the baggage claim and he's like uh california <laughs> <laughs> Make fists with your toes. Yeah. <laughs> um, He's such a grumbly, like, not pleasant guy. Yeah, this is his grumbliest. Well, the, and it's important to note, like, Kyle and I watched that interview between him and the director, and mm. he is, he seems like such a friendly, kind oh. man. He's so intimidating. Like, yeah, he's very intimidating. Like, he just has a morose look about yes, him. Yes, and yeah, he just has a quality to him that's just like, it. That's part of why it was so amazing to see him utilized in the Thor movies the way he was. Mm-hmm. He was manic in those movies. Yeah, and it was fun. Yeah, seeing this normally very morose and intimidating presence just be able to cut loose and be a fucking clown. Mm. Um, but yeah, his default setting in most movies that he's cast in is just like. Is, <laughs> that's why he's so good uh, in Dune. That's why I, I praise the casting of him as the Baron. Yeah. Uh, yes. No. I look. I look forward to seeing more of that. Yes. Keep keep doing that, please. Um, so yeah, there's like it's weird. Also, hearing Stellan Skarsgård not speak English. Uh, that's very. It's it seems like a different person almost. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so I think we start with the morgue. Is that the, I think it was our first stop. Yeah, uh, we we head directly from the airport to the morgue. We get a pleasant little driving sequence, and I think it's around this time that we start to get hints that his partner, uh, Vic, um, 
he has a memory issue. Yeah, I wasn't sure what the point of that was. Because, um, yeah, he says something like, that was a, you just ran a red light. He's like, no, it was green. And then as he's saying it, he's putting his seatbelt on. I think it factors into how he was shot. He went was, the wrong way. Oh, he was disoriented. Yes. Okay. He, he was told one thing and did the other. Gotcha. That um, makes more sense. Um, and also it makes him come across that much more innocent mm-hmm. because he seems so helpless and friendly. Oh, he's well. so friendly. He's so friendly. Like Kyle had said, I wish this guy was in the movie yeah. more. I mean, he he's a constant presence, but as a character, not so much. I knew what I remembered what the like the basic premise of Insomnia was. It's like he knew who the killer was, but he was like trying to find him. I forgot it was because the detective made a mistake and he knew about it. So when this happened, I'm like, "Oh fuck, I forgot about this." Yeah. Yeah. No, I I think that's why the memory issues there is to to amplify his quality as a mm. as an innocent presence as well as to give even more reason as to how the accident occurred um there's a really creepy moment here at the morgue so they're like uh, he so they have her on the slab and uh they're just kind of doing the uh she's got something in her throat kind of thing uh, <laughs> uh if you remember signs of the limbs um but he go he like kind of grabs her head and they're kind of talking and he's just like staring at her face in a very creepy way. I'm like, I'm not sure what he's trying to accomplish here. Yeah, I, I don't know. But he, he shares a tender moment with the corpse. Yeah. Um, it was a, it's kind of like... I, I, I don't know. I don't know how to describe it. It's I, It doesn't feel, like, sexually charged or... It doesn't even feel like it's like, oh, such a shame, so such a young person to die, like, this is awful. But he's just... I don't know. He's just taking her in. Yeah, I, I don't exactly know why it's there. Uh, maybe it's just to demonstrate how seriously he takes his job. That might be. I, um, I could see that. I, maybe that's what it is. The American version um, turns like dials it up a little too far and makes Al Pacino into like a borderline savant. Um, well, it's more like he's arrogant in in how serious he takes his job and how much oh, he okay. believes himself to know. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it actually kind of works because when he has his fall from grace, it's like. Oh, like you're a big fuck off. Like, like you you talked such a big game, and then oh, you fucked off. It kind of reminds me. I'm watching the King, uh, Lars von Trier's The Kingdom, um, and there's a doctor on there who's just a fucking dick. Like he's like the top doctor. He's the oldest doctor. He's the most experienced, and he's just a fucking asshole because he is doctor. So I think like this detective is like this is detective. Like I take this so seriously. I'm one dimensional. This is what I am. Yeah, he's he's kind of narrowing his focus on the task at hand, and it just so happens that the, the corpse is his duty essentially. Um, but I want to point out that uh, both films have wonderful scores, by the way. Um, like totally different. Like I didn't really catch any consistent melodies between both productions, but they're both really excellent. Like I said, my friend absolutely loves the American version, um, but this version uh, is composed by Gare Jensen. Uh, who is not known Jensen. to me, but uh, largely electronic score, and it has it has like a tender quality that plays here during this scene, where it's like one, it's basically the first moment where I really noticed it, aside from the like grim ambient like droning during was, the during the opening credits. I was gonna say I didn't pick up on the soundtrack. Uh, I did want to tell you something though. I uh, Trevor was kind enough to get me a Christmas gift this year. He got me uh, Ari Aster's director cut of Midsummer, which I watched that night. By the way, <laughs> uh, excellent, 
excellent. Uh, and I watched a couple of it. I was trying to watch a couple of interviews, but I got in the mood to draw because that movie, there's a lot of artwork. Yeah. Uh, by the way, that big canopy that shows you how the movie's going to play out, not in the director's cut. Really? Yeah. They it, they omitted that. Yeah, I'm gonna. I should let you borrow it. You might. I might have to watch it um, because it's 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 a much better version and it's really good. And this is coming from someone who does not generally appreciate longer run times. No, uh, <laughs> but I listened to the soundtrack. I sat down to do some drawing and I put on the Midsummer uh, soundtrack and it was it was just right for drawing. And also coming from someone who generally doesn't listen to film scores. Mm-hmm. So wow, yeah, wow, yeah. I wow yeah yeah I wanted, I wanted to let you know that uh, okay. and it worked it worked because it was actually a really it was a really nice evening okay um, I'm glad you did some drawing because yeah. I, I know that that's something you don't always enjoy, indulge in yeah. uh, same with me but I know it's something we both enjoy yeah um, see I think they go to her room now I thought it was a, a room because she's a, a high schooler but I guess it's her apartment. Yeah, I wasn't clear on if it's a residence or like if it's a home or it's an apartment. I think you're right though. Um, but she did have a Keanu poster. Yeah. Oh, y- young <laughs> prime Keanu, prime <laughs> rib, fucking Keanu Reeves. Like, so, yeah, yeah you, you have good taste, woman. Yeah. I don't know who the other. I don't know who the other guy was. Yeah, he's not as handsome. Uh, but I guess the important part to pull from this is that they go to her apart- apartment. Like, again, she's like 17 years old, and she has like $60,000 worth of clothes, like expensive clothes. And her, he's like Dolce & Gabbana, like the first thing. He's like, she could not afford this, so we're detecting. Yeah, uh, so she has uh, clothing that is way, way above her pay grade. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, the, the inspector on site, uh, the Norwegian inspector, Clady, uh, she notes that her parents are dead. Hilda. Uh, Hilda. <laughs> um, and uh, they find a padded bra as well. And uh, they make note of that. It's like, why would she need that? It's like, mm. Mm. It's like maybe she got somebody she's uh, yeah, padding it up for. Yeah. <laughs> but um, then we head straight to a questioning, uh, borderline interrogation. Yeah, I don't know what the line is in there over on that side of the country. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know how they would phrase this, but and I don't know what the boundaries are. But yeah. Presumably, you're not supposed to lay hands on people. Stellan Skarsgård's not very good about maintaining that particular boundary. Oh, those Swedes, they must be really uh, physical. <laughs> well, I mean, we saw the we saw the head on the shoulder thing. It's like, you know, maybe there's like a closeness thing where it's like, it's, you don't mind if I just like, like smear my hands all over your jacket, right? Like, after, <laughs> after The Sopranos ended, Stephen Van Sant, he's one of the guitarists yeah. from the E Street Band. Yeah. Um, he's the probably the most... Um, noticeable character from The Sopranos. He has a very distinguished face because <laughs> he's just got like this. Oh, I, I know it quite well. <laughs> he's really good on that show. Um, his, but, his hands are permanently locked in the. the yeah, he's the, the, the most Italian. The, of the, the hand yeah. goggles <laughs> position. You got to cover your. You got to cover your boobs, yeah. your man boobs, with your hand goggles. <laughs> Toss up between him and Walnuts. Who's better? I really like. I like Walnuts, but. Uh, so there's he had a show. Uh, it was only like two seasons long, but he's a, a dude who's in the witness protection program, and he ends up going to Norway, <laughs> and it's like him, like him culturally, like just kind of clashing oh, culturally. That sounds awesome. Yeah, it, I watched the first episode, and they're like they can't have guns, so he just like gives the dude a gun. He's like, "How the fuck did you get this, dude?" <laughs> kind of sorry. So, uh, well, I have a tangent too. It'll be a quick one. I know you're not a Steve Martin guy, and I know this movie has not aged well. Like I know this. It, but I saw it at the right age, so I, I enjoy it for the most part. My Blue Heaven. Have you ever seen or heard of that? I've heard of it. Uh, it's him and Rick Moranis oh. as an FBI agent. And uh, uh, Joan, Joan Cusack. Oh, I love Joan Cusack. I, I, lo- I miss Joan I like Cusack. Joan Cusack I really a lot. like Joan Cusack. Yeah. She's wonderful. Yeah. Um, it's a 
Steve Martin is a mafioso that's uh, in witness protection in suburbia. Oh, this sounds awesome. And Rick Moranis is his caretaker, his FBI agent caretaker who has to wrangle him. And it's just him, like, hustling the town over and over and over again. And they're all too dumb to figure it out. Because it's not necessarily that they're dumb. It's just they can't conceive of someone trying to, like, pull the rug out from under them. They're just like, he just seems so nice. (laughs) Like, Like, there's... Like, one of the more classic scenes is him finding a pricing gun in a supermarket and just, like... Repricing stuff? He's, like, 10-cent steaks. <laughs> and then he just goes to the the cash, the cash register and they're just like, Wow! I didn't know we had a sale today! <laughs> and he just leaves with a shopping cart full of steaks. I'm softening up to Steve Martin. He, I'm, okay. coming, I'm coming around. Well, I quite enjoy that movie. Like I said, it probably hasn't aged well. It's from that... Supremely, early 90s. supremely white period of the early nineties <laughs> that it probably doesn't sell. It probably doesn't fly very well by today's standards. I know exactly what cute. time period you're talking about. Yes, it was before the Fresh Prince of Bel Air and Martin and In Living Color were really big. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But anyway, yeah. Uh, so we go to question uh, Eilert. Alert. Alert, yeah. Eilert. He's actually died. He actually died a few years ago. Really? Wow, yeah. that keeps happening too. Yeah. So we got dog shit and we got people dying on us, Kyle. Yeah. Yeah. We, we need to stop podcasting. <laughs> like we, people are going down. We'll try to go for somebody we want to take out next. <laughs> yeah, these these anonymous European actors that we have no connection to that keep dying on our watch. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, we're, we're questioning Eilert. And uh, he was, uh, as Kyle had mentioned, uh, Tanya's uh, boyfriend. Or, quote, boyfriend. Um, and apparently they were last seen. He was the last person seen with her in public. Yeah. Um, they were at a party together, and she stormed off without him. Um, and then he claims that he hung out at the party for a while and then left, not to pursue her, just independent of her. Yeah, dude, that's not a good alibi. Yeah, <laughs> it's like, ooh, you're you're all alone in here, buddy. <laughs> and I think they kind of in, like they kind of deduce that she was seeing another guy. Yes, and they kind of confront him with it. Well, I mean, they they look at they do the math with the dresses, yeah. and they're like, mm, this, "This kid cannot afford this. This, this dipshit can't afford that." Yeah. Um, but uh, we do have a, a cute little line that was very useful to Kyle and I, who are both American and do not speak Swedish nor Norwegian. Mm-hmm. Um, we do have this moment where Stellan Skarsgård is intensely questioning Eilert, and he looks to Vic, who's sitting across the table from him, and he just has this line, "I don't fucking understand Swedish, man." Yeah. Um, and so it's like a it's a useful hint or reminder to people like Kyle and I, Americans, that oh, we have characters from different countries speaking different languages that are inhabiting the same space here. So Stellan Skarsgård is the outside element; he's the Swede, um, and all the other inspectors, uh, all the other people in the town, they're they're Norwegian. So there's a, a clear cut difference between the two of them. Yeah, I don't know a difference. It's like it's like diet coke. It's like like. Regular soda and then uh, like Coke, like the same. It's like the same thing. It's like no, no, no. This is generic. Mommy. It's the same thing. I don't, I don't see a difference in either one of these things. <laughs> yeah, it, it's incredible. Like it, it really makes me think. Like, like does does your average European brain just function better than your average American one? They would probably say yes. <laughs> I mean, I mean, I, I think they'd be pretty upfront about that. Like, yeah, it's like, yeah, you guys are just kind of slow. <laughs> I think it's when we get to like the Scandinavian countries, we get up there. I think there's significant differences in those languages but you and i our ears are not attuned to it i mean we worked with people from the the balkans yeah apparently all of them from three four different countries were all speaking different languages and somehow all of them understood each other enough to function and 
you know, get along. I think they they were speaking Russian to each other. I think that's what the common... Are you sure? I think so. I, I didn't think it was Russian. I, I, I remember asking them, I'm like, what... What are you speaking? I forgot she was so polite too. She was just like, "Do you mind if we speak in, in another language?" Oh yeah, no, that's not rude at all. But yeah. she, she was just so polite about it. But yeah, I don't know what their common language was that they spoke because they were definitely from different uh, different countries. Well, no, it yeah. was explained to me that it's like, no, we're all saying different words from different languages. We just all, there's just enough crossover that we understand each other. Oh yeah, and then they go back to English to talk to dumb fucks like Kyle and I, <laughs> like on like on the regular. It's, it's embarrassing. It's what it is. Yeah. Um, anyway, yeah, we have that line that points out the Stellan Skarsgård is the Swede in the room. Yeah. Um, and they also throw it in his face that, hey, uh, young man, did you know, were you aware that there was probably an older, richer dude, probably more handsome too, yeah, guy that was definitely probably boning your girlfriend? <laughs> <laughs> and at first I think he's like, no, yeah. no, no way, man. She loved me. I loved her. That's why she ran away from me at the party. Mm. And it escalates to the point that he actually he actually tries to throw hands with Stellan's guards. Right? He yeah. actually throws he throws a right cross that is soundly defe- deflected. I feel like there's very very few professional boxers that could get a good pop off uh, sitting down. Uh, yeah, I don't think you can generate the hip power you need to get a good. No, I mean unless you're Bob Sapp and your arm weighs ninety five pounds, <laughs> like if if you just rotate your torso and smack someone, you're, all you're going to do is irritate them yeah. <laughs> and shock them. You're not going to knock anyone out like that. Yeah, but uh, yeah, Skarsgård gets the drop on him, smashes his head into the table, and is like, "You're a bitch." Uh, <laughs> no, he doesn't say that. You're, uh, you're a bitch. You're a bitch. You're a bitch. Um, but yeah, I think they just kind of let him go. But you don't leave the state, you know, because you might be needed for more questioning. Um, and then we get to the hotel where we meet on or mm-hmm. Ann. I'm not sure. There's only one in, and yeah. it's spelled like Ann. But I'm like, I'm on. I'm not really sure. Uh, <laughs> I'm trying. Uh, and do like they're like nobody's at the front desk, or he's just like, like just just knocking on the table, and uh, she comes out. Stop knocking on the table. <laughs> it's <just> kind of <laughs> funny. Uh, and then his partner uh, uh, Eric is just kind of um, like being charming with, like trying to be charming with her. And I do like how she's like, "Don't flirt with me." I'm like, "Oh," and he's like, "Oh, okay." Yeah. <laughs> it's very. She's very no nonsense. She cuts right to the chase. She just reminds him, "It's like I'm on the clock." You are too, <laughs> yeah, uh, and but she's kind of got eyes for Stellan Skarsgård, which right away I yeah. don't. He, I guess maybe he's one of those dudes that has like an energy about him. Like I don't necessarily consider him to be conventionally handsome, even as a young man. But that's I don't really know. Maybe he is, but I don't get that here. He's dark. He's dangerous, he's, and, and yeah. you know, I mean, maybe maybe that works for some people he's like hello ma'am he's also tall <laughs> would, would you like to have a drink with me it's like that sounds wonderful yeah, let's let's go fuck against some toilet paper that sounds that sounds like a lovely night in right <laughs> uh, uh he's tall and mysterious so tall and mysterious yeah tall, that works i mean kyle I'm tall yeah. you and i can both relate uh, tall tall yeah. always helps yeah tall always helps tall always helps uh, it, it always counts for something um, but yeah, uh, his partner's really, really losing his marbles, by the way, like, like, oh, repeatedly, like, we keep noticing he has these flubs in his memory and his speech where it's like, you, you need to see a doctor, sir. <laughs> like, there are some pills that probably should be given to you that you are not taking. Not taking. Um, and also, uh, this is where, um, we learned that their luggage had arrived 
before them, mm. and uh, we see Stellan Skarsgård uh, unloading his luggage, and we see that he has a handgun mm. in his in his suitcase, um, which he conceals. He puts it in his his like nightstand drawer when when somebody walks in on him. By the way, uh, this character on uh, is played by Maura Tierney in uh, in the American version. Maura Tierney, uh, the mom from Liar Liar. Oh. I really like her. Yeah. She she has a presence to her that's just like, you know, she's, she's not going to ever be a selling point for a movie, but every time she shows up, you're just like, oh, hi. <laughs> like, I missed you. <laughs> the last thing I saw her in was Semi-Pro. Wow. Yeah. That's like 2005, 2006. You know, that was like, that was like one of those Will Ferrell movies from that era that I didn't care much for. Oh, I, 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 I really like that movie. You really it's, like I that still really like it. It's really fun. It, if you're into Will Ferrell, if you thought he, if if you were into him at the time, that movie it it hits just right. It, I think that one had a poor balance of serious and funny because like that's mostly Woody Harrelson's movie. It is, and Woody Harrelson's not very funny. In He's it. not very funny, but he, we all know him to actually be a funny fucking guy, know, which yeah. is kind of why it's weird. And also, like even from a cinematography standpoint. It looks kind of harsh. Mm. Like, it has that grimy 70s quality to it that it looks like a serious movie, and then we get bear fights. It's yeah. Like, okay. <laughs> but there's, like, some really good, like, like this was written by Will Fer- Like, this seems like something written perfectly for Will Ferrell. Like, uh, the com- the card scene. The card scene is probably one of the funniest parts of the movie. But I still I still enjoy that one. But no. I, it's not the strongest of that run. I will, I will agree. No, I, I mean, it's not a condemnation of your character. I'm just pointing it out. Land of the Lost gets a lot of, uh, a lot of flack. But it's actually, at the time, it was pretty funny. It does get a lot of flack such that I haven't bothered to watch it. Mm, it... It's. It might be too late now. I think. I that, think. So. I think it's, it's too late for it now. <laughs> We've got some miles between us and yeah. then. But um, we we see here um, what it what it feels like uh, to be in a midnight sun town. Um, so we have the sequence where Stellan Skarsgård is laying in bed and the clock says like two forty six. I have to assume a.m. Mm-hmm. and it is bright and fucking shiny out. Yeah. And the blinds, the goggles, they do nothing. <laughs> they do uh, nothing. They do nothing. He, he puts the blinds down. doesn't fucking help at all. No, it does, yeah. yeah. But I'm like, a sleep mask, dude. Just get a sleep mask. He does, but it's like... Way Man, too late. You should have done that a like a long, week ago, yeah. buddy. But um, that's not the point of the story, though. No, yeah, no. no. But um, we we have our classroom interrogation. We're still, <laughs> still this is on par with, with Billy Crystal in in City Slickers, <laughs> like explaining the meaning of life to a bunch of kids. yeah, just like jaws open. <laughs> this is a little more intimidating because I'm going to look up how tall Stellan Skarsgård is because there's all these children just. Uh, sitting, children and a forty-five-year-old woman. <laughs> yeah, and a forty-five-year-old woman, and this si- yeah, this six-foot-three Swede is just walking around, and he's not even like being kind of cool, or, like hip, or like, hey guys, I'm here investigating murder. He's just like, who knew her? Who knew what she liked? What were her dreams? <laughs> They're like, Jesus, dude, or is he? Is he part of the SS or something? Are we get so shot? have you loved her? So have you hated her? Oh yeah, she's not going to be here tomorrow. Or the week after that. She's dead. I mean, it's all your fault. At least Christoph Waltz was like charming and cordial when he was trying to get information out of people in Inglorious Bastards. But he is like, you're not going to get anything out of these people. Um, but it's something to point out here because it, it'll be brought up later. But he's speaking Swedish to this, this yes. classroom. So... In this moment, it's just like people are just sitting there, but what's happening is is nobody understands him. Yeah. 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 
uh, he is very much the outsider and he's he's speechifying here nobody really is receiving the message but the tone at, at the very least is clear i think they should know from his tone what they're getting at your classmate was murdered and there's a big tall cop like you can kind of guess what yeah, he wants no, it, it, they got something out of it is yeah. what i'm getting at but um at this point, I think uh, somebody discovers Tanya's backpack. Yes, the it was found by a shed. Yeah, and this was a really uh, uh, this was creative. Yeah. Um, that they find the backpack and they empty all the stuff. She's got some book about two young lovers or some shit, and he's just like he tosses it. He's like really aggressively just. He's like, <laughs> "You ever read it? Have you ever read this?" He's like, "I've never heard of it." And he's like, Phoom, throws it at this dude for no reason whatsoever." No, he, he like says like, "Who who reads this? Who who has read this kind of stuff?" And like one person's like meekly like, "Yeah, I do." He's like, "Well, you read this. Read shit. it, fucker." <laughs> so the idea is is somebody found the backpack um near this shed, but he it seems to think that the killer doesn't realize that the backpack was over there. So, um, or maybe he doesn't realize that the backpack's an important part of the case. So what they do is they, they find a picture of what the backpack looks like. Like this is the kind of backpack it would be. And they go on the TV and say, anybody sees this backpack, please let us know immediately. Um, but they're setting up a sting basically. Yeah. Uh, they're basically in the American version. Like it's basically plays out the same way where it's like, we're, banking on this person seeing the message on the tv or hearing it on the radio and then rushing to to retrieve it before the cops can get to it um so yeah they have it set up at the shed and we have a sting set up with all the all the cops and stuff and scars guard uh set up uh, kind of like on stakeout i guess yeah um <laughs> i'm not shaving my mustache <laughs> <laughs> I just watched another stakeout out the other That's day. That's the only good one, yeah. Yeah. I, the first one I haven't seen in ages, but like that second one, man. It's I, pretty great. I it's it's really cartoony. Mm-hmm. Like it's really silly, like it's funny. goofy, yeah. But I like it. Good Richard Dreyfus, good Amelia. They're I love that pair. I love the two of they them have together. Good energy. Like they, they, they match really well. And they're both together, I don't think they equal a seven feet tall. <laughs> No, not even, not even. Stacked on top of each other. (laughs) They would be six foot even on his on his shoulders. (laughs) They they could like walk back. They could walk past Stellan Skarsgård. He would not be impressed. It's hard to find people that are shorter than Trevor and I, but when we find them, we will let you know. (laughs) Um, But yeah, we're set up at the shed, and. we we fuck it up pretty bad, don't we? It's really bad. Yeah, um, it's pretty bad. Yeah. So the plan is is we've got we got um, uh, just your regular cops like on either side, and, like we're gonna you know swarm obviously, and then we've got um, our three. There's like kind of the goofy detective who gets shot in the leg. I don't know what his name was. His I didn't is. catch his name, but I did think of him as the goofy guy because he, he he's like the one guy who's consistently smiling throughout the entire movie. I'm just gonna call him Officer Doofy. Just it, just. Doofy. I mean, his hair alone. Yeah. <laughs> but this is where we get the. Uh, this is where we get the guy. He's like he makes this map. Basically, he sets it like he's sitting sitting in his office making this really detailed map. Like this is where everybody's gonna be in your positions. Um, this is the gag where he pulls the binoculars out of uh, his partner's jacket, um, and he has a gun with him. But I, does he does he let them know that he has a gun at this point? I don't think anybody knows he has a gun in his pocket. I don't think I caught anyone noticing. That. I don't think so. Um, but yes, he absolutely does have his his gun on him. Um, and then there's a, a botch in the form of them witnessing the pickup of the bag, and then the person who's like in a big jacket and at a distance so we can't make out a face or anything heads into the shed 
and then as we're like getting ready to make a move officer doofy uh he knocks over like a like a a water bottle or something Mm -hmm. and makes a loud crashing noise um so everybody's looking at him like you (laughs) um but they they make a move on the shed but unfortunately they discover oh there's a trap door that Mm -hmm. heads into a tunnel and some of the most awesome shots in the whole movie Mm -hmm. um yeah, we like without skipping a beat. Stellan Skarsgård uh, jumps into the tunnel, and uh, the lighting and the compositions in these tunnel shots are really remarkable. Mm-hmm. Like the use of haze and fog in the tunnels, and and just the choreography of them running, it looks absolutely incredible. And it's interesting because the the Nolan version has this beat, like it has this scene, but it looks radically different and nowhere near as impressive. I think the gift that this di- this director had was with this was this uh, kind of disorienting editing style uh, for and it's I like how it's used sparingly like it's used in key moments but it could have been easily where they're just like constantly doing this but I like this I think this is probably my f- second favorite sequence my favorite is when he's in the apartment yes I think I, that's, agree. I think that's probably the best part and I think that might be one of the uh, cover arts for it no. Him at the end with the guy in the background, I think, is the cover. Like that's, I think that's the Criterion thing for it. Yeah, I've also seen them on uh, on the mountain with mm. the snow in the background. But, okay. Um, yeah, the apartment is the most. It's the most like crowd pleasing mm-hmm. like rendition of that particular editing style. But we'll we'll have to explain what we're getting at. But, yeah. Um, it's in this sequence, in this quote, chase in the fog, it's not much of a chase. It's, it's more just a bunch of disoriented people trying their best to navigate a, a foggy landscape. A foggy mountain. It's like, it's a legit hill with big ass rocks. Like, if you trip and hit your head, it's going to be pretty bad. Yeah, yeah. Um, but uh, this is where this particular editing style starts to make itself apparent. Mm-hmm. And it, it is intentionally disorienting. Mm-hmm. And it's really interesting because uh, in that interview between director Eric and Stellan Skarsgård, they uh, talk about how, in a lot of ways, uh, assembling this movie, like in the edit, um, involved intentionally doing a lot of things wrong or incorrectly, like by by traditional cinematic language standards. Mm-hmm. And it was really fascinating to hear them talk about that. I wanted to bring this up. Um... I guess we can. I'll bring it up now, real quick. So the idea was. I mean, this is technically a noir. Like, the, I guess this is kind of under yeah. that under that blanket. But um, the director's idea was to take noir and kind of flip it to where noir is generally like the person is going towards solving the murder, like, and they're trying to just figure out who this is. This is different. This is where the we know who the murderer is. Like, we know who the murderer is pretty quick, um, but. Are this person keeps making mistakes as opposed to actually like getting closer on the trail of the killer. This is more our main cop is basically doing everything wrong along the way. Well, yeah, the two characters parallel each other very strongly. Where it's like it's two professionals. One's a writer. We'll come to learn, and the other one's a, a detective. And the two of them just happen to deal with the same territory. Mm-hmm. Uh, that is, you know, murders, homicides. Um, only difference is they explore it from different perspectives. One person pursues the person who committed the crime. The other person writes about fictional accounts of crimes and that whole process. And it's kind of the two of them dissecting their own, quote, mistakes or accidents and uh, using their knowledge base to 
game the system. So they're both doing the same job, essentially. Mm-hmm. Um, only difference is they have different job titles. But um, this whole sequence in the fog is really incredible to look at. Um, the tunnel se- the tunnel shots look better in this one, but um, the exterior shots in the fog like also look very, very good in the Nolan version. But um, long story short, the, the editing here pulls some tricks where... Um, it, it's one of those things to quote red letter media it's like you maybe didn't notice it but your brain did mm-hmm. um, because a lot of, there's a, these scattered shots where characters will exit the frame and then enter from quote the wrong side mm-hmm. uh, in the very next shot and it's like whoa well, the, that, uh, hang on did somebody just teleport like did we did we lose a few seconds like it, what happened there it's so seamless and abrupt that you don't even like yeah like it's jarring like whoa what what the hell just happened and it's so skillfully integrated like at this moment in the film because because this is the first instance of it being exhibited and because it's in this foggy landscape it comes across as dreamlike and appropriate Mm. as opposed to totally jarring Uh, so it kind of eases you into the technique and so that when we see it in later instances it isn't completely jarring it's like I think I know what they're trying to communicate here, um, but at this point, it's it it's chiefly just meant to disorientate the, yeah. the viewer. But um, long story short, um, uh, Officer Doofy uh, eats a bullet in the leg, mm-hmm. um, and we have this moment where our three officers are together in the fog. So we have Skarsgård kind of directing traffic and telling his buddy Vic, uh, the gentleman with the poor memory. Um, I think he tells him you. You go out along the water line and then go left. Mm-hmm. Emphasis on left. That left, <laughs> not not the other one. There's only two choices. You, you left. <laughs> Did you get that? And then Officer Doofy, like I think he tries to help out, but he's handicapped in the form of eating a bullet in the leg pretty quickly. Um, and then Sarsgard has this moment where he sees a figure in the distance, and uh, without much hesitation, he pulls out his pistol and shoots the guy. Yeah, I think he's a little disoriented as well because I think he f- slips and falls and hits his head, and that's when he hears. He, he gets shot at, like there's a ricochet off of a stone, and then, yeah, there's a few jarring edits where he's lost his footing and then he stands up, and it really has that feeling like which way is frontwards and which way is backwards. I, I just got up off of my. I basically took a bad step, and now I looked up and. I don't even know where I am. Oh, there's a person. I should shoot him. Yeah. <laughs> and he shoots him, and then he, he walks up. The guy falls into the water face down, and he walks over to him. Um, and he turns him over, and it was his friend, Eric, who accidentally shot. And I don't understand the... Like, I understand it's a movie, uh, <laughs> but, like, why wouldn't he... Was it just his pride? Like, why wouldn't he just admit that this was a mistake? Like, it, it was an honest mistake, but maybe he wasn't supposed to have the gun. Like, he could have gotten in trouble for that. I don't really know. Um, that might have... That would have made more sense than just him, like, not wanting to have a squeaky clean record. Uh, it might have been just he would have gotten in trouble for having a gun there. Yeah, I, I mean, that would be my guess, is that it bringing... A, a weapon into a different country and not being authorized to do so is probably a big deal. I, it sounds very illegal to me. <laughs> yeah, and, you know, and also wrong, wrongful killing of a fellow officer. It's probably not a good thing. I mean, if you if you try to sneak marijuana into China, you are never going to see America again. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> basically. Yeah, so it, it's kind of a big deal. Um, but what's interesting about this scene is that there's some like really key dialogue in the American version where. Um, 
Al Pacino and uh, his his buddy in that movie are have, in the middle of a. They're like butting heads before that. Like it's built oh, up. Don Cheadle's in there? No, not Don Cheadle. His buddy. Um, I forget the character. I forget the actor's name. Um, but anyway, they uh, they they are at odds with each other before he shoots him, mm. uh, which would create more suspicion, I guess, as to like, did he mean to shoot him? Yeah. But there's some key dialogue when the fella is dying that he's like, Al Pacino keeps telling him, "Don't talk," as in like, "Don't go to internal affairs." But in the moment, it's like, "Don't talk because you're dying." But it's like there's a double meaning there. Whereas in this version, Stellan Skarsgård doesn't say anything. He's mm. just like. Oh, <laughs> but um, the person dying though, Vic, he does have a couple of lines here where he keeps repeating, like, "You said to go right. <laughs> you said to go right." And he's like, "Said fucking left." <sighs> now, I, and now you're dead. <laughs> I think because of how his character, uh, how how the rest of this plays out, I think in that moment when he realizes he's killed him, I think he's already planning, like, "How am I getting out of this?" Yeah, I mean, it. You could absolutely read that on his face. Um, and that's what's interesting about this performance is that the, the actor himself said in a lot of ways he felt like he was being asked to not perform. Like it's a very muted performance in that he doesn't have a lot of dialogue, but um, the camera captures a lot of emotion coming off of his seemingly blank face. It's really interesting to see like how, how powerful like just framing a shot and putting the camera in the right place can can intensify a, a performance, but... Uh, he does pocket um, his buddy's revolver. Um, Who's re- it was? Is that his? That was his friend's revolver, not uh, not John's, not the killer. I think it was his buddy's. Um, I could be wrong on that. So it, maybe they both snuck, uh, or no? Was he just? Yeah, they were on the plane together. So they his, were on the plane together. So yeah, maybe his buddy snuck in a gun too. So yeah. that is possible. Yeah, I wasn't sure about the gun. It's never really explained. Mm. Um, but yeah, so now we've got him um, basically answering questions about this with the uh, the local um, chief of police, basically. And th- there's a strange beat here. Maybe you caught it, but does he kind of give him an out almost, or does he give him an opportunity to lie here? Because he kind of he takes it clearly. But did you catch did you catch the the wording here? I didn't catch the wording, but that's I did kind of read that. That like this like at the very outset of this complication, like he very easily could have just come clean, and it, the investigation would have proceeded as normal. Mm-hmm. Like it, it wouldn't turn into this this big whole thing where he basically is taking on uh, covering his own ass and investigating a murder simultaneously. It, it's it's more than any one person should should be able to bear. And I was going to say, that's a lot of guilt. That's a lot of guilt. <laughs> that's <to>. a lot. <laughs> Not only did you make a mistake, but you're also keeping it a secret. Like, eesh. Yeah, I did like um, how we get a, a replay of of the events of the accidental shooting um, during this this like post-action report like mm-hmm. kind of thing. Um, like We just get these these shots that like I could totally see Christopher Nolan watching this movie and be like, yep, I'm going to take that, I'm going to take that. I'm gonna take that because <laughs> so, he he loves doing that. Just like inserting like clips of earlier events in movies um, without sound, usually. Um, yes, he does like to do that. Uh, he, yeah, I think Bruce Wayne's dad was one of those weird ones. Uh, him just a, like a flash of his well, dad and yeah. Two Face, like in The Dark Knight Rises, in the in the opening when a uh, commissioner Commissioner Gordon is talking. He's t- he's giving a speech about the man who's you know, threatened to kill his kid and stuff, and then it's just this one shot of yeah. Aaron Eckhart going, ah! <laughs> uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Uh, one thing that's important that I for, we forgot to mention, I mean, cause it doesn't really matter much in that scene. It just keeps coming up. Um, Eric, when they first get to the hotel and Skarsgård is kind of unpacking, I think is I think he does see the gun. I think he is aware of the gun. Mm. His partner is aware. I think so. But his memory, yeah. it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Um, but he, he starts telling him this story. He's like, we stayed in this hotel one time and I woke up in the morning with somebody standing over me and it was the people, they had like the same name as me. And they were staying in the same hotel room as me. And it was just like, why are you guys in here? They gave the person the same key. Um, and that keeps coming up. And that's I, maybe it's just the last like moment that they had together that just keeps replaying. And that's kind of like the guilt track that keeps going over and over. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to bring that up uh, when we get a little bit further in. Because okay. I'm, I'm curious, like uh, similar to you asking me about uh, the chief talking to him here, I feel like maybe I either jumped to a conclusion or misheard something, but I have, I have a question uh, that I'll, I'll bring up later. But, okay. Um, anyway, long story short, though, the, the bullet um, in Vic can't be linked to Skarsgård unless they have the murder weapon. Yeah. Which he hasn't told anyone about. Yeah. So they don't have access to it, so they can't really link it to him just yet. But immediately after this uh, we get some puking oh it's like it's like <laughs> team america him in the alleyway <laughs> it's a lot of puke it's uh, a lot of puke we get we get two rounds of puking um from from a height of six foot three so yeah. <laughs> splash. splash that's a splash dude i couldn't even imagine puking that high up <laughs> my god <laughs> so much uh and there's a doggo in this alley that absolutely hates him well i mean in his defense this dog i it's an alley dog i don't know if he's anybody if he is owned by anybody but he doesn't seem friendly so no yeah no yeah no it's like some sort of german but shepherd he, but but later he gets him to be yeah yeah, yeah. so he gets back to his hotel he's got his buddy's gun it's just a little like six shooter a little revolver and he hides it up in like a little vent yeah his, he uh, hides it in a vent uh, Josh Brolin style but um we'd get like his uh, guilt trip hammered into his skull in the form of him seeing himself uh, on the news when he gets to the hotel like yeah. on like on the TV like giving an interview to the news crews about the accidental shooting yeah. so he gets to see himself lying on television as soon as he gets to what should be a place of comfort you know yeah. his, his, his home his bed but there's no darkness and there's not a whole lot of sleep to be had but yes he hides the revolver and uh he goes to visit officer doofy yeah gives him a i forgot so uh yeah, what was that it's dip uh oh, it i is. forget yeah i forget uh chewing to uh, uh like dip is there's literally a brand called Copenhagen. Oh, <laughs> yeah. So uh, I, I didn't think about uh, 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 that being a thing. I'm like, oh, I completely forgot. I think dip is actually very popular there, or at least that's where it kind of originated. Oh. Uh, but he was putting in a pinch. I'm actually. I'm like, I'm uh, <laughs> that sounds kind of good. Uh, <laughs> um, but he's putting it in his top lip, which is not really co- like I don't. I don't ever see people putting it in their top lip, but it did look like he was putting it in the top. It might have been a pouch though, because mm. that that is uh, that's a common thing, at least in the U.S. now. Um, but yeah, he brings him a can of dip. Okay, that's what that was. Then. Yeah. Um, so yeah, he brings his buddy some dip, and mm. uh, the real reason he's here though is to ask like. Uh, the bullet in your leg uh, went clean through, right? And he's like, "Yeah, it went clean through." Well, he's like, "Did they did they find the bullet?" And he's like, "Actually, I was lucky; it just went straight through." And he's like, "Okay, good." He's like, "Oh, thank God." Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, and he has a hallucination here, uh, where he sees uh, the ghost of Vic walking walking down the hallway in the hospital, 
Um, no words exchanged. It's just like that's very clearly a dead man. Yeah. Uh, only I see him. I hope. Um, and also, this is a really cool instance of uh, what we said earlier about the cinematography, where he's seated, and the mm-hmm. the eye line of of the POV shot of seeing the ghost and whatnot is from roughly his eye level. It's it's really cool stuff. It does a. It, you probably didn't notice it, but your brain did. <laughs> um, but. Um, we go back to the backpack. So we're, mm-hmm. we're digging in the evidence even more. And uh, this is where it's made expressly clear there was no sexual assault. Yes. Uh, this is an important part, though. Or not really important part, but it, I think it was worth noting. Was that the... I think that there might be an idea that this was an accident. And Skarsgård's like, well, there was no... Like, there was absolutely no DNA. And I think he actually notices that her hair was washed when she was in the morgue. He that does. Was, he does mention. He he does notice that he's like the, the way they scrubbed like her body was scrubbed for DNA. Like this wasn't an accident. And uh, yeah, there's no there was no sperm, no sexual assault. So it's just like, huh? What this, this doesn't really add up. Like this is a was a weird crime. Yeah. Uh, he they go back and forth. Like, are you sure about that? Are you sure about that? Five minutes? Are you sure about that? <laughs> like, um, and yes, absolutely. He's like, nope. There's no sperm. No sexual assault. And we have a moment of silence for Vic at the office, which, again, just the guilt trip just yeah. keeps right on rolling. Um, and uh, we do a recreation of Vic's death out at the actual site where it occurred. Yeah. Um, there's a funny little detail where a person is, a, like, they have, like, a dummy as mm-hmm. a stand-in for Vic, and, like, they actually take it to such an extreme in terms of detail that it's like, no, he was on his stomach. Like, you got to flip it over. It's yeah. like, does it really matter? It's like, Yes. Everything. <laughs> well, now he's, you know, he's lying. He's basically saying, like, I saw him from way over here. And even, like, during this scene, you can see he's much further away than when he when he approached him initially. And um, I didn't think about them doing a separate investigation for for that. Like, it didn't seem like there would need to be. I mean, I feel like they would just kind of take the cop's word on it. Like, this is what happened. But in order to charge, I guess in order to charge the killer for that crime, you would have to have, I guess, evidence to prove it. But yeah. um, it seemed like kind of incidental. But it's yeah. interesting because, like, the another key difference between this and the American version is um, this doesn't make us look good. But um, the the way the Hilda character is handled, she's portrayed as very competent and on the ball, mm-hmm. like from start to finish in in this original version, in the Norwegian version, the American one. Hilary Swank is playing the character, and she's supposed to be like, I don't know, the up and comer like newer yeah she's supposed to be like looking to the Skarsgård character Al Pacino's character as like a mentor Mm -hmm. so she she has to like get up to speed with them and like it's only through Al Pacino's character constantly like bearing down on her and reminding her that like little details matter you gotta be on top of it you gotta like double check and triple check everything you do it's it's only through like his constant like mentoring of her that she figures things out the way that she does whereas in this version hilda's like we pretty much know it's like oh fuck like this lady really knows her now <laughs> she knows her shit <laughs> like like as as good as you are about covering your tracks it's like a this, this is Lady Columbo, buddy. You gotta yeah. watch out. <laughs> uh, but I think it works. I think it works both ways. It does. I, I think it works. It does. It's just the, in general, the American version is just a lot more tidy um, in the way it it wants its story to play out. Like it wants to be kind, more kind 
to most of its characters whereas this one it's just like a lot of these people kind of suck (laughs) but um anyway we we cut back to Skarsgård heading back to the same alley the puke alley he goes back not for more puke but uh we get a a stock metal gate opening sound um, which is a little embarrassing there's 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 a couple of really embarrassing sound effects in this movie there's the gate in particular and then there's a punch thrown later on in the film that's just like thwack (laughs) <laughs> i didn't even catch the it's uh, like borderline thwack. indiana jones thwack like like it's it is a manufactured sound it, it's a little weird in an otherwise beautifully constructed film but um this is where folks at home if you got problems with dog stuff you can check out and uh call it good because uh yeah uh, we get some dog stuff um i was like what the fuck is he even like what is the point of this like what's he planning to do but it makes more sense. Yeah, he he oh, he gets the pup over there with a little tasty, little pocket treat. Yeah. And then, thank God they do it, you know. Why'd they have to show him dying? Because it might be one of the best dying dogs in a movie I've seen. Like, it's, yeah, it's yeah. a good dog actor. It's good it's dog acting. It's real good dog acting. However they did it, it worked. Yeah, in the American version, because it's an American film, and in general, like, dog, dogs and kids are usually off limits in American movies. Did he shoot a homeless person? No, uh, the dog is already dead. Oh. So he shoots a corpse. Gotcha. So it's still... No, a lot of people well, would have problems just with the dog corpse. We want to like... But wa- director is British, so you know he's a savage. <laughs> <laughs> well, you want to like you want to like Al Pacino. He has that quality about him. Like, you want to like him. Uh, but <laughs> you, you want to like him. I mean... Sure, <laughs> but I don't think that you could you could take this character, the the Skarsgård character, and have Al Pacino do it. It would not work. I don't think. Like we don't, you don't really like Skarsgård in this movie. Well, and not only that, it's like you know, there's a reason that dog is just barking at him. It's because he's a yeti. Yeah. He's a fucking Nordic Yeti. Whereas, like, Al Pacino, it's like, that dog's just going to look at him and be like, I can take him. Like, You're not 5'7". Yeah, it's like a consignatus in Jurassic Park. It's like, oh, I can take him. I got this. It's like, he's not that know. big. I don't know. Al Pacino's got a lot of intensity. So. Oh, he's squirrely. He's, he's squirrely. I bet, he, I bet he could climb a sheer wall if if he had to. Um, he could Spider-Man and shit. He might be able to. Uh... Uh, no, so this the the thing with this dog is like he yeah he ends up shooting the dog and we of course see the poor pooch dying, um, but then he extracts the bullet yeah and this looked legit like this little extraction scene yeah I, I don't know man it, it European movie man. I don't know like it, it, it's all shot in intense close up so you only see the the cavity like you don't see the whole animal while he's doing it but yeah the, the if it's makeup effects it's good it's makeup brilliant effects. yeah yeah. Um, but yeah, so let's see here. Kill the pooch, switch the bullets. So now he has to go switch the bullets. So, of course, so what he was doing was that gun that was found that they believe was his buddy's, or I thought it might have been the killer's gun that was dropped. I'm not entirely sure. Um, he's switching that bullet out from what was his. So he's taking his bullet extracted from Vic's body and replacing it with, I think it's Vic's own revolver slug. <laughs> I'm going to quote Rust Cole in a True Detective when he's stealing that huge... Uh, bag of cocaine. He's like, they really need a better system for this. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, seriously, it's just, it's it's just right like, there. It's just right there, and he does that kind of shit all the way through this movie. Yeah, like, it shouldn't be that easy. It's not a, it's not a joke. He is like literally just. I, to the point where I'm questioning how many legit, <laughs> major legit 
uh, criminals he's put behind bars and how many innocent people he's put behind bars. I mean, all you need is just like a Paul Blart in there who takes his job maybe a little too seriously or something. It's like, what were you doing in there? Yeah. Like, it's like, do you have any business in there? It's like, I mean, it is Stellan's guards guard. It's like, I don't want to question that guy. <laughs> I feel like the dude that's sitting at the evidence locker is not the most experienced guy. It's probably a newer, newer person. And yeah, it's probably know. some guy named Gil that... He's been there a while, and, and they just don't know where to put him. And it's like a military hierarchy, too. It's just like, you have somebody who's higher ranking than you. It's like, motherfucker, I'm going in there. And it's like, okay, well, don't ask me what I'm doing. Yeah, it's either a guy named Gil who's just been there a while, and they just put him there because he's got nowhere else to be. Or it's a guy named Clancy who's just, like, waiting for a Steven Seagal or a Chuck Norris to show up to, like, load them up with a bunch of ill-gotten goods that they can blast the bad guys he's <laughs> like ooh it's a guy with a beard and a leather jacket he wants all the assault rifles that we pilfered from all those goons <laughs> you don't need a fl- you don't need an application you don't need an application you don't need any papers I got you brother <laughs> god uh, yes yeah, so he switches the bullets and this is where he has a moment with uh, Anne or on whatever um there's like a, this is one of the moments where we kind of get the sense of it being no it not being dark. So he's kind of just kind of haggard, and there's people drinking down in like the reception area, and it's like daylight out. But it's like a Saturday, it's like a Friday night or a Saturday night. People are having drinks, but it's still daylight outside. Yeah, this would drive me nuts. But um, <laughs> he he just walks up to On and he's just like, "Do you have any booze? Cognac, cognac, or something like that?" And she's like, "Yeah, I, I got some booze," and like she has. Uh, was it whiskey? It's just whiskey. Yeah, she doesn't have cognac, but she's like, here's some whiskey. And, and without asking, she just kind of sidles up to him and they drink together. He pours her a glass. I could feel him, like, I could feel him in this moment enjoying that liquor. Like, he he, he does a really good job with this. I thought he's just like, yeah, he's just really, he's it's, got, it's medicinal. He's got, like, his chin pushed forward. And I think he even, like, rolls his eyes back into his head. And he's just like, oh, oh God. That's so good. He's yeah. Like, oh, that's really God. good stuff. Um, and he, yeah, she like they start talking about their families a little bit, and he's just like, "Do you have any siblings?" He's like, "I had a brother." He, he yeah, he's like, "I don't have a family, but I, I had a brother when I was eleven. He died when he was eleven. Yeah, and, and I used to. Nobody asked about it. I, I, I told lots of <laughs> I told lots of stories about it, how he died, and they got increasingly more improbable, and then they kind of forgot about it. So it's like. I understand what they're doing here. It's yeah. like they're they're establishing that there's precedent for this. It's yeah. like an awful thing happened, and he spun fiction out mm. of it, and that was his way of coping, I guess. Just failing, like not truthfully acknowledging what happened. Yeah. And he's just like, "That's it. I'm done. I'm going to bed." My my scars guard sounds a little like Mark Rylance. <laughs> in what role? Is that what I've seen Mark Rylance do? Because I just watched Don't Look Up. I think he's in Don't Probably Look Up. Probably not that. Oh, I haven't yeah. seen that. He talks really high in that movie. <laughs> he sounds like Mike Shank. <laughs> Did you watch Don't Look Up? I have not. Oh, so he plays a crazy billionaire in that movie. And he's like, yeah. That's literally what he sounds like. He sounds like Mike Shank. Yeah, that's what he sounds like. Oh, because you put my soda on, on, that... the, on the tarp? Uh, well, he sounds less like a Muppet, uh, <laughs> but he's the he's like the the the, the, the demuppet demuppeted of uh, Mike. Okay, uh, okay. Yeah. Well, yeah, I've heard mixed things about that movie. Some people think it's absolutely brilliant. Some people think it's uh, thinks it's smarter than it is, or something. I don't know. I haven't seen it. You'll you'll watch it, and then you'll understand why those two different those two different opinions are there. 
you should form your own opinion. I strongly would suggest that you watch it. <laughs> okay. Well, I, I probably will watch it. I've heard too much about it, and I I want to see Mark Rylance as Mike Shank. It's pretty funny. <laughs> he's <laughs> he's actually really good in that movie. Yeah. Uh, so this I like this scene. Um, this was uh, this was interesting. Oh, by the way, your colleague stopped by. He's like, what colleague? He's like, this is an older guy, kind of kind of gruff looking. He acted kind of nervous, but he was asking about you. He said he worked with you, and he was just like. I don't. I don't know who would be coming by. Here. I don't have any friends. No, I, don't have any. <laughs> um, I did like that. Uh, she has this cute little line where she says, I, "I, I can never remember what people look like. I just, I just remember the impression they make." Mm. And he's like, "Well, what kind of impression did they make?" She was like, "You seem kind of nervous yeah. and older than you." Um, the American version. This is just one quick line. It's just like, <laughs> it's like, "Oh, someone was here," and it's like. That's the extent That's of that interaction. It's, it's interesting because it, it really isn't that important. Uh, it's just the the relationship. Be, there, the major difference is that the American one's a Christopher Nolan movie. Mm-hmm. It, it, we can't have any sort of romantic tension between anyone. Like mm-hmm. that, that's just not done. Like, no, no, we don't do that. Um, no, no, people don't touch each other. God. <laughs> um, so, the, so the receptionist character is basically just there. Yeah. Um, whereas in this one, it's like, no, we're going to do some stuff. Uh, it's not going to be good, but we're going to do some stuff. But, uh, yeah, she makes mention of that. And then uh, we uh, we need to go talk to Freud. Ugh, yeah. Uh, yes, Freud was the one we were kind of teasing at the beginning. <laughs> so she is like this, uh, she's this teenage girl, quote unquote, uh, who she's looks. Probably like a former gymnast or something. Because she's diminutive, but she is not 17. <laughs> she is not 17. She is in her 40s. Uh, <laughs> and we're not talking like Saved by the Bell 17. We're talking like there is a serious flaw in your casting process for this production. It's pretty, it's pretty incredible. Uh, I don't know <laughs> why they went with her for this. But she's actually having a, a talk with uh, the boyfriend, whatever. I can't. Eileen? Eilert. Eiler. I keep wanting to say Eileen. Eilert. Eilert. Uh, Eilert. Eilert. Um, she's having a conversation with him, uh, but then, yeah, uh, Skarsgård goes up to her and is like, hey, we need to talk. Um, and this, he just kind of questions her. He's like, you, you understand Swedish. You understand what I'm saying. Yeah. Uh, so he takes her from the school, and by the way, when he walks up to her, she's talking to Eilert. Yeah. Like, pretty closely, anyway. Um, and then we go for a car ride that gets a little, not even a little, a lot weird. As if you didn't already hate him for shooting the dog. Yeah, uh, yeah. so this guy has accidentally shot his friend. Uh, he has executed a dog uh, and then desecrated the corpse. Mm-hmm. And uh, now he's inappropriately touching young girls. Yeah. Yikes. Uh, so he's sitting there with her and he's asking, like, did you know that she had a boyfriend? Like, you knew you knew about it. Like, just kind of questioning her. And they're driving to a dump. But yeah, he like kind of accidentally grazes her knee with... She she kind of positions herself to, to make that possible. Like, she, she puts her, her knee up against the, uh, the gear shift. Yeah. And then he goes very slowly, but he goes for the home run, basically. I think he gets in there. Uh, yeah, and I think she stops it. Like she just like kind of gets creeped out by it, or he stops one way or the other. It's very uncomfortable. Yeah, it is very uncomfortable, and there's like no words to exchange during the whole process, which unfortunately is probably accurate. Yeah, but yeah, uh, eventually though, um, 
they do get to the dump, mm-hmm. um, and this is a, a nasty dump. And yeah. uh, he drags her out to the center of the trash mound, and he's speaking to her in a very threatening tone, and basically just like hammering home the point that it's like you have information that's useful to me. I know you have it. Actually, I don't. I'm just assuming you do. Yeah. Um, and he like points to a, a pile of like nasty bones in there, and he's like, "Your your your friend." Is 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 this like the, the like this, this is your friend now because you're not helping me? Well, it's like this is where we found her. We just yeah. found her naked in a dump like this, yeah. like trying to get like an emotional uh, reaction. Yeah, out of her. and it works well enough, I guess. So, did you notice that? Um, I believe that what's the girl's Tanya had like a little heart necklace. I believe. I think then. Yeah. Freya has the same necklace. Mm. I I kind of I noticed it just like a small little detail. I'm like, I wonder if that's gonna come back up. Like I I don't. It never comes back up. I think it was just a coincidence that they both had that necklace. Hmm. Well, I mean, the the director did mention in that interview that like he wanted to create a story where every character has some sort of baggage or some sort of un- unacknowledged trauma or or connection maybe or darkness within them that is just not out in the open but it's just below the surface oh maybe the necklace okay so the necklace was a gift from Eiler maybe that was what it is and that's why because we'll come I mean, to find we, out we do learn that yeah he, he was having fun with both of them so that would make sense I don't know why I just got a, a flash to Twin Peaks uh, well <laughs> I mean necklace. a lot of the texture and even some of the subject matter of this movie does bear some resemblance mm-hmm. so I, I it's a very similar idea. Yeah. I mean, even the shots you were talking about about him like cradling the corpse in the in the morgue and whatnot. It's like, yeah, it's very Laura Palmer esque, mm-hmm. like in the you know the pilot episode of that and whatnot. Mm-hmm. Um, in fact, you can like picture some shots of this movie and have like the Twin Peaks music playing yeah. in the background, like <laughs> for for that like main theme melody, mm-hmm. that kind of like romantic swooning like oh, that, with, with the bass guitar or whatever. That the the swooning one is that gets on my nerves a little bit. I like the I like the peppy one. The peppy one's fun. Yeah, the the jazzy ones are, are, yeah. are fun. Yeah. <laughs> um but yeah, uh, she does give him a name though, and it just so happens to be that of uh, one of the authors of one of the books uh that uh, Tanya had in her backpack. Uh-huh. It's a John Holt yeah, uh, is the name? Yes, yeah. yeah. Skarsgård goes to see him, and he breaks in immediately. Yeah, he just helps himself in. I mean, what, maybe we didn't see him just like crash through the front door like head first. Uh, and there was something that they mentioned in the interview was like they kept removing props from scenes. Yes, and I think this was the scene they were talking about specifically because this. Like at first, when he gets into this apartment, it seems barren. Like it's just like, does anybody actually live here? Because several of the rooms, like there's just like nothing on the walls. It's just kind of bare. But we do learn that he does live there. We go into a room with stuff in it. Yeah, the the line in the interview about um, moving props and whatnot was really interesting because I I interpret that as like uh, an element of every film production, like like turning a room so that you can shoot the other side of it or something. It's just a normal process, a time consuming process, um, but one that's essential for for shooting a film. Um, the way I interpreted that was that that process, like noticing that process, um, served as inspiration for how they would construct the edit and the cinematography for some of the key moments in the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, because this this sequence is like masterclass kind of shit. Mm-hmm. Uh, this this apartment sequence that Kyle's talking about. So what we have is a, is a moment where we see Stellan Skarsgård walk in front of the frame, and he like walks center frame, and then he almost exits the frame 
or he does exit the frame but then he like teleports back to the center of the frame it's it's a jump cut which in most film languages is considered a a a major flub like like you just do not do that that's you broke every rule that you broke the language of the film but it works so well because he just teleports to the center of the frame and then he opens a door that 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 he didn't open previously and this is where the the cinematography and the editing start to play some really cool tricks where it's it so beautifully demonstrates the way your brain functions when you're sleep deprived or mm-hmm. or otherwise distracted yeah it's it's so incredible to see it visually represented in this fashion because um i refer to it as like losing time mm-hmm. And it's like little things that you take for granted, like say for instance, um, going to the grocery store and returning your cart to the the depository or whatever, wherever you put it. Mm-hmm. It's one of those things that it's a thing that you did, but like if you actually try to close your eyes and remember doing it, it's like no, it's just like you remember grabbing the cart and you remember putting it in the thing, and then all of a sudden you're in your car. And and the way this movie is edited, it does that from time to time, where it's just like a minutes or seconds of time, just subtle chunks of time will just be pulled out, and it doesn't make the it doesn't make it any less difficult to understand. Mm-hmm. It it just really puts you in the the headspace of the characters. Really cool stuff. I'm actually kind of we're I'm doing this kind of sleep deprived today, so it's actually um, me too. It's kind of interesting. We're both kind of doing this episode, and we're both like kind of just groggy today. No, I mean my my dumb fuck neighbors escalated their game, and now they apparently have sleep apnea oh, out gosh. of nowhere. So I had to pull out a white noise generator that okay. I haven't plugged in until today. And well, I fall asleep. <laughs> I fall asleep with the office on. Like I, I have to have like a little bit of a noise, but. Um, you mentioned like this is like I agree like the editing it like I know what it feels like everybody knows what like what it feels like to be sleep deprived so yeah like this little I think the little anxiety too with him being in this killer's apartment and just knowing that he could come back at any time also kind of gives you that sleep deprived anxiety too it's it's just kind of your cortisol levels are kind of high well it's just also interesting to see the the choice of what details are remaining and which are omitted mm-hmm. and a lot of it is is those spots where it's like you can you can it's so it's so funny to phrase it this way but it's like you can in watching the movie you can feel the character mm-hmm. sneaking little micro naps in there where it's like there's that there's that really awesome moment where he's being driven someplace mm-hmm. and then just we go from him like looking out the window or looking in the rearview mirror and all of a sudden the next shot jump cut is just him like lurching forward because someone hit the brakes too hard and he's just, yeah. Did I fall asleep? I don't know. I'm in a different place. What the fuck? <laughs> he uses CGI to accomplish this, but Ari Aster does a masterful job in Midsommar of uh, replicating what it's like visually to be on mushrooms. Ah, I've, I've heard that, yeah. It's perfect. Yeah. And I was re-watching the director's cut, and I, I, I noticed it more on this one. Maybe they added more things in. But, like, yeah, like, just the little, like, there's almost, like, a pulsing in the trees. That It's very subtle, but it works perfectly. But there's something with faces that he did. And it's kind of interesting about mushrooms kind of mess with uh, faces. Like, it's not, like, acid, but, like, it eyes just kind of, like, grow apart or come, like, closer together. It just, it's, it's a subtle warping. Hmm. And it's, if you're not in the right state of mind, it can be very unsettling. Um, but I was re-watching, I'm like, wow, he did it just perfectly. Yeah, I... I- can't speak from experience but i do remember reading that that people were 
uh, praising it for like saying actually that's it's that's per- pretty good. It's pretty excellent. Uh, well, I mean, they're trying to uh, trying to legalize mushrooms in this state, so hey, there you go. <laughs> we'll see someday. We'll see. Uh, <laughs> mu- mushroom cast. <laughs> it's like that hey, let's fun. fuck with Trevor's brain Trevor. <laughs> and record it. Yeah. Uh, they're a lot of fun. They're they they are a lot of fun. Okay. Yeah. Um, but yeah, another. A neat little editing trick here is uh, we get an instance where he walks around a room and the camera pans to track him and then it pans back to where it started from where the shot started from and through the power of editing he teleports back to where he started from and it's like weren't you okay okay. how did you get here okay but it again remember the character is supposed to be sleep deprived and as Kyle said there is some measure of anxiety that comes with uh, having Murdered your friend, mm-hmm. uh, murdered a dog, uh, felt up a young girl, and uh, now you're in a strange, probably killer's apartment. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, his mental state is a little loopy. Um, um, but yeah, he uh, he finds a photo of John Holt uh, in the apartment. It's like him on a fishing trip or something. Yeah. This becomes important very late in the film. Um, and he steals his planner, Yeah, uh, which has an appointment for a dentist appointment later on. Yeah, and then um, I think he's back. Is he back at his hotel, and he gets a call from John, or is he at the office? I don't. I can't recall. But he gets a a, a call from John, basically, uh, and I think he says, "Hey, you should stay out of my house. Like, stay out of my house or my apartment or whatever." Yeah, uh, he gets a call from John that says exactly that. And what's interesting is that <clears throat> this is where the American film becomes much more like a conventional cat and mouse, like detective story. Uh, because Robin Williams plays John Holt's character in that. I remember him being very good in that he role. He was very good. Yeah. And that's why they changed it up, I imagine, is because his presence in the film, he has screen time. John Holt in this version is barely, barely a he's character. He's barely there, and I think they have like two phone calls, and they're both very short. Mm. Whereas the American version, Christopher Nolan's version, he's making phone calls constantly. And uh, his character's a lot more fleshed out, and he has a lot more dramatic moments that this movie actually this original european version um is very keen on staying away from this movie is not big on high drama mm-hmm. like this movie is not about actors and characters giving acting performances yeah. and telling you how they feel about things and how they felt about things it's, it's just kind of like you're an observer and Stellan Skarsgård's character in particular is very closed off, even to us, the viewer, even mm-hmm. in his more intimate moments, whereas the American one, it's just like, we gotta talk about some shit. Um, but yeah, he gets a call from John Holt telling him to stay away. Um, and I think it's around this time that uh, he puts up a new shade that has a hole in it. It's like, wow, yeah. like good job, buddy. But um, we also learned that um, one of the books that Tanya had has a to Tanya written in it presumably by John Holt. Yeah. So we're starting to get material to tie to tie this person like concretely to that murder. Um, and we go over the shooting again yeah. uh, of Vic. And uh, this is where Hilda, I think, makes it clear, like, in private, that, hey, uh, I don't think you could have seen the person you were sh- that was shot. Mm-hmm. Like, 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 we have photos from the, roughly the same distance that you, you said you were uh, to the corpse. It's like, there's no way you saw a person. <laughs> I think she went back when it was foggy to get pictures to see how like how reliable that was because she shows like the two different photos. So she's like, you wouldn't have been able to see it, which he could have just been like, it wasn't that foggy. Like I was able to see roughly 
through the fog, but it wasn't that foggy. Um, but yeah, she um, she points out like, do you want to? I think she asked him like, do you want to? Do you want to change your statement? And it's kind of like, not like I think that you're lying. It's kind of like a, I think you're lying, but you can go back and change your statement a little bit if you want. Yeah, um, but this is a demonstration of character on his part, where it's like, but in doing so, I'd be admitting fault. And I'm not that kind of person. Mm-mm. Like I, I, I'm good at my job. Like, yeah. I, I'm not the kind of person that needs to rewrite a report. Like, mm-hmm. I'm not come on, do that. Like, come on, lady. Um, he goes like, to the next thing I know, you're gonna be at, you're gonna be telling me about your wife. <laughs> <laughs> you're gonna be one foot out the door, and then you're gonna come back and have a story about your wife. It's like I've seen, I've seen this before. I'll get out of here. <laughs> Um, so yeah, so he's going to the dentist, but the dentist office is closed, uh, apparently. So he just kind of like sits down, like he just kind of like sits back and leans against the door and this would get people just like staring at him. And I think we have a director cameo. Um, maybe, maybe I, I think I, I didn't, I didn't have his, uh, face locked into my memory cause I watched the interview after. Mm. So like I'm trying to put it back and maybe maybe that one of those people was him. I think one of the first ones that kind of watched yeah. my, I think it might've been him, but I'm not yeah, sure. Just say, he, Apparently, yeah. consistently has sh- shaggy hair even yeah. since the late nineties. But um, not that it matters. I, I have just... a note here that says that's the look of a sick man because he looks like crap. Yeah, he hasn't slept. Like I would presume, like he's barely gotten any sleep. Well, uh, he he has that look that I again I think both Kyle and I can relate to this in at, like as we're recording this, yeah. we're both sleep deprived. Oh yeah, we had a lot of fog this morning too. We did have a lot of fog this morning. <laughs> I was dri- I was driving over here. And my man, it's really foggy. Man, like, this is perfect. Yeah, perfect we, we had some like Silent Hill fog going on. But and I'm um, gonna accidentally shoot you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, podcast is canceled. It's like why? Uh, Kyle Kyle got lost in the fog. I lost in the fog. I shot Trevor. It was a whole thing. <laughs> it was a whole thing. But uh, there, there's a certain kind of sleep deprivation where your metabolism shuts down, and you get like that absent feeling in your gut where it's just like there's just acid churning mm-hmm. and it's like you're, you're queasy and you want to eat something but your your body is shut down to the point that it's like it's not gonna it's just gonna sit there mm-hmm. like the, it's not gonna digest anything so like when you drink water you can feel it go bloop, bloop, bloop in the bottom of your gut he has that look like he's about to start heaving again yeah, it 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 made me queasy to look at. <laughs> he does not look good, and he might have gone method for this. He might have just stayed up too. I mean, he's. I'm that... curious actually because I think Al Pacino has done method like throughout his career. So I'm curious if maybe he did some of that. I don't know if Skarsgård didn't really have a whole lot. To... His acting process uh, notes during that interview with the director were fascinating. He didn't mention anything about like purposely staying awake or anything, but. He did mention that he wasn't especially confident in the production as he was being directed. Well, because he was conducting the interview and it was more about the director. It was yeah, more about yeah. the movie. So his performance, like him looking sleep deprived, isn't that important. But it's a nice touch that you and I both noticed. But I, I think in um, in the name of the father, uh, Daniel Day Lewis, he had a scene where he was supposed to have been up for like thirty six hours. Uh, for that scene, oh, you he better actually, believe he oh, did. Oh, he that. fucking stayed up for that. Yeah, he stayed up for seventy-two hours. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think that's what Charlie Sheen did for, uh, yeah, quote unquote, what he did for uh, Ferris Bueller's Day Off when he's in the police station for drugs and he yeah, looks cocaine like, helps. <laughs> I think it was just cocaine. Yeah, you know, cocaine, cocaine yeah. will help you out. With what are you that. here for? Drugs. <laughs> uh, 
Yeah. Charlie Sheen is good when he's good. But he's very funny. Yeah, he can be very good. Not a good person. <laughs> Not a great person, but he's very funny. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but yeah, he's on the de- he's at the dentist office. He's just sitting there. People are like walking by and just kind of giving him mean mugs. And yeah. uh, a bus comes by, and he notices John just on the bus. John Holt. John Holt. June Tao. June Tao. John Holt. John oh. Holt. <laughs> so, uh, fantasy. Ricky Tan. <laughs> fantasy by Mariah Carey was playing somewhere. You know the song. It's the song that the little Chinese girl is singing in Rush Hour. Oh. Yeah. Okay. So, I heard that song. I'm like, oh, God. I'm like, immediately, it just went to her singing along with it. It's so funny. <laughs> uh, but, yeah, he sees John Holt on a passing bus. And he starts sprinting after him. I mean, he is wearing, I'm guessing, like, heeled, like, nice dress shoes. Because he's wearing a suit this entire time. This has got to be agony, running in shoes like this. Oh, yeah. No, that is not how you want to be. And the, these these streets look like rough material. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, he, he's booking it, though. Yeah. He, he's in full sprint. This is, like, this is like a Swedish bear running after a bus. It's, <laughs> like, you would be on alert seeing this in public. It's like, oh, shit. <laughs> oh, shit. I, nothing that big should move that fast. <laughs> um, but um, he gets hit by a car, though. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, he, he gets to an intersection, and he is soundly dispatched by a, a car. And then he's just like, where is that bus going? He's like, oh, yeah, he doesn't miss a beat. He just like, gets right up. And then he commandeers that car. Like, he basically he has the dude drive him to follow him, follow the bus. Yeah, you know, it's like straight out of speed or something. <laughs> he's just like, he pulls out his badge, and he's like, get in the car, dr- follow that bus. Follow that bus. <laughs> and the guy's kind of like smiling like it. Yeah, he's having awesome. fun. Yeah, he's having well, I mean, it's a small town. He's probably excited. Um, yeah, they get on this, uh, they, they make it to a gondola. And uh, looks like there's a bunch of um, Asian tourists. Like it's mostly just Asian tourists and him. Yeah. 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 So it gives them a, a, an opportunity to have a discussion in the gondola. Like they can have an open discussion, and nobody's going to know what they're talking about or who they are. Yeah, that, that's one thing. Also, like it doesn't factor in, but it's interesting to note the presence of so many cameras as well. Yeah. Um, which you know, if you if you were to pull those people aside and like say, hey, could I take a look at that? That'd be a lot of evidence. A lot of evidence. Um, yeah. But yeah, uh, this is where that that really cool edit happens, where he's he's in the car being driven by someone else, so he's not in control. He's not at the steering wheel. And by the way, a lot of the driving scenes with him are alarming. Mm-hmm. He drives too fucking fast, man. He drives too fast, and he falls asleep at one point. <laughs> he, he falls asleep a lot. Yeah, and and he is driving too fucking fast. All the fucking time. <laughs> and also they take special care to always kind of put the camera off kilter. Where it's, we're never like straight, looking straight out the windshield. It's always off, like at a slight angle. And it's it's a very foreign perspective that puts you off balance as the viewer. Because it's... We, we Most of us have been in a moving vehicle. But to see... <laughs> Most we live in a society. <laughs> <laughs> we lived in a society the last time I checked. <laughs> but to, to see a moving vehicle from a foreign angle at speed, it, it's it's jarring and it, it's unsettling. Mm-hmm. Um, but here we have an instance where he's not at the wheel, so he's just like, you know, I'm going to doze off yeah. unintentionally. But we just get this moment where he's like looking in the rearview mirror and then jump cut, like lurching forward brakes are creaking and then all of a sudden he's like right behind the bus which is unloading and he's just like I gotta go yeah. <laughs> and he just piles out and yeah we have this uh, talk on the cable car which in uh, the Nolan version occurs on a on a ferry uh, oh yes I remember the ferry scene yeah it's uh, from a visual standpoint it's it's uh, 
it's actually comparable. It looks, it, they both look very, very, very nice. Um, the there's a lot more dialogue in in the Nolan version, but here, yeah, uh, he gets to finally speak face to face with John Holt, and John Holt gives him nothing, nothing, absolutely nothing. Um, however, he does make it known that hey, I saw you shoot your buddy, yeah. Uh, so maybe be careful about throwing accusations my way. Uh, there's something that bothers me in movies. It's where we're having a conversation, and I get that you, it, you're shooting a movie, so you have to get your like both the people in the frame, and it makes sense for them to not look at each other while they're talking. But we start getting like him moving away, like where it's like I'm on like looking away from Trevor having a conversation right now. You could probably hear it in the mic, but it's just like nobody has a conversation like this, and it just kind of bothers me in movies when that happens. Yeah, it, it's such that like. It would actually be kind of cute to have someone do that, and someone just be like, "What the fuck are you what doing?" What are you saying? I can't. Hear you. <laughs> I can't hear you. <laughs> You're talking to the wall. <laughs> Turn around, fucker. <laughs> it was. It was a gag in Thirty Rock where uh, Liz is going to meet uh, Jack at a museum, and he's the fa- he's like facing away. He's like, "Lemon, I know." Uh, he just starts talking to her. He's like, "How'd you know it was me?" He's like. Full disclosure, I did it to like four people before you got here. Oh, that's that's awesome. <laughs> I love fun. that. Yeah. Uh, I, I do need to watch that show someday. It, it's excellent. I like it's too many of the elements in it. Like, Alec Baldwin, yeah, it's it's his best work, honestly. Well, and Tina Fey also. Oh, yeah, they're I, great. And uh, Is Tracy Morgan in there, too? Yeah. Uh, I'm not crazy about Tracy Morgan in that show. I like Tracy Morgan in general. I think he's funny. but That's what I was about to say. I, I don't know. I haven't heard... People bring him up in that show very often, but in general, I like him. He works for the show, but it's kind of like when you you have a, an actor who's doing something like they're playing to their strength, ah. and it balances out the rest of the characters. You don't necessarily like that character, but it works with the group, and he's kind of that kind of that. Okay, well, yeah, it, it's something I wouldn't mind giving a try someday because I I do like a lot of the elements. It's on there. Prime, dude. Just. Just get after it. I'm looking for a new show. We did finish Gangs of London. It did not finish as strongly as I had hoped. Well, you um, haven't started Game of Thrones yet. That is not going to finish. Actually, that's the problem with that one, is that the girlfriend um, is turned off by the idea of knowing where it ends up. She's like, dude, I don't want to commit to something that, that I, I know I, doesn't end well. I understand, but the journey, it's... I'm it, on board. I will. I will say that much. I will totally watch it. I, you know me. I watch so much crap. Like <laughs> that's not asking a whole lot. For You're me. gonna get to season three, and there's gonna be an episode in season three where you are, you are gonna, just look at each other, and you're gonna be like, "I love you." <laughs> yeah, folks at home, you couldn't see it, but Kyle was doing a pantomime of uh, swinging a bat and knocking knocking it. an old. Grand slam out of the park. Yeah, it just, you have no idea what you have in store. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, uh, he does get physical with John Holt here. He, he roughs him up a little bit. But yeah. he, he cools it down because somebody's watching. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. Like, so, yeah. Uh, <laughs> so the, it's kind of like that scene in Independence Day where Harry Connick Jr., like he picks up the wedding ring that falls out and he's like, Jimmy, this is a wedding ring. And the guy comes around the corner, it looks like he's proposing, and he just like steps back. <laughs> he's like, I'll give you guys a minute. Here it looks like these two are like getting frisky with each other and the guy's like, hey, yeah. what's going on here? Makes me think of the, the Matrix when Agent Smith is roughing up Morpheus in interrogation and then the other agent walks in and he's like, what were you doing? Because <laughs> like, he has like both his palms on his cheeks and he has his earpiece out and his sunglasses off. It's like, were you like, were you making out with him? Were you doing weird <laughs> stuff with him? Because <laughs> <laughs> we 
we are agents, goddammit. Yeah. We're not about that. This is this is America in 1999, goddammit. I call back. Um, anyway, we head out to the uh, mountainside off yeah. the cable car. We're hanging out in the snow because Nordic, I mean, you got to have it at some yeah. point. But um, John Holt gives like a little bit of a confession here. Not... Not not a real confession, but he does make it known, like, yes, I write crime novels, and I've spent, like, two decades writing these things, and so it, it comes natural that, you know, I would have some measure of fascination with the actual process of carrying out a murder or something. He doesn't say it, yeah. like, he doesn't describe it as that, he just says, like, hey, I've, I've dealt with this stuff for a long time, and this is where he's, I guess, drawing some parallels between himself and... And Stone mm-hmm. Skarsgård, where he's like, we both deal with homicide. It's just I write about it, and you actually you, chase you down people who do it. Um, and I think it, this is the point where, uh, we, as if he wasn't a bad enough person, <laughs> now we got to do some dirty pool and plant a gun. Yeah, they're basically in cahoots now. He's just like, well, we have to do something about the boyfriend. So he's just like, I can't let him take the the rap for this. And now we gotta, yeah. We gotta plant a gun on Eiler. Yeah, uh, so John Holt made it known that I I know about your dirty laundry. You 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 suspect correctly that I I did wrong with the girl. However, our problems cancel each other out such yeah. that we can we can both walk away from this clean if we fuck over some you know shithead teenager. He has no problem with that too. Oh no problem. No problem. He even has that moment where like the cameras fixated on him and he has every opportunity to give like some hint that he's conflicted no no (laughs) No, not at all uh this scene gave me a lot of anxiety uh yeah Uh so (laughs) he he goes into his room and he just he perfectly plants the gun right underneath the bed and as he's doing it um eiler and freya come back and he's like like hiding behind the door a little bit and uh I thought they were going to catch him, or a bad lieutenant was going to happen here. (laughs) (laughs) If you haven't seen Bad Lieutenant, watch it and you'll know exactly what scene I'm talking about. Yeah, Bad Uh, Lieutenant, Port of Call, uh, New Orleans. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Um, So yeah, I thought that was going to happen here, but no, they just get down to some banging to some black metal, or like some, yeah, some, some death metal here. Yeah. Um, But I do like this, this cut here, like they're, they're doing some smooching, and then you just kind of see the door just, like, kind of where he was standing, but the door's just kind of moving a little bit, and you can just kind of assume that he snuck out of there nice yeah. and easy. So he, he, he's got some moves. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> or you think he did that thing where he just, like, slinks down on the ground and crawls out on his elbows. <laughs> yeah, something like that. He's surprisingly... Slow bomb! <laughs> Ninja vanished! <laughs> no, he's surprisingly limber for a big... Nordic guy. Yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, he plants the gun and he watches them uh, smooch for a bit. But um, or it could have gone another way where he just like pulls it out and is just like I'm going to stroke it while they're doing this because <laughs> he is a fucking creep, as we will see here very soon. Um, he, he already is a creep. <laughs> even more. Yeah, he's well, already had so many strikes against him. Yeah. Um, but John Holt is brought in for questioning uh, because remember they found his signature in Tanya's book. Uh, yeah, Freya, she said Freya's missing. They can't find her. Yeah, I, I don't really know where she went. She was just maybe evading them. I thought I thought they were kind of, like, um, giving us, like, maybe he did something to her. Like Maybe John Holt did something? No, like, either. Like, like, no, the, um, Skarsgård, maybe he did something to her because... Ooh. 
he had that weird ex- he had that very awkward exchange with her and that might be somebody he wanted like take yeah. out yeah yeah they do mention the other police officers do mention that she's gone missing because they also he has that gun so um he, well no he would have to take the gun back well i was watching and i'm like well he could have killed Freya with the gun and then planted the gun in there so now you've got two murders or, like, or just to make sure that you get him for yeah, the... we, we do kind of like dip out of that scene pretty abruptly so I, I, could, I could see where you're thinking was that um, but yeah John Holt is brought in for questioning and uh, he uh, Hilda and uh, Skarsgård have a uh, exchange before they head into interrogation that she's like hang on you you talked to Freya like a lot like what did you talking say? to two high school girls? Jesus. Yeah, like by yourself. It's a little weird. Like, yeah. do they understand Swedish? <laughs> like, I'm, I don't even know. But basically, she's starting to put together. It's like this guy is this, this guy is not my kind of guy. Yeah. Um, and uh, John, uh, they, there's some like little bits here where like he's like really taken with Hilda. Like, like he shoots her some looks. Like, mm-hmm. like when as soon as she sits down that. He extends courtesy to her and like shares his attention with her in ways that he does not um, to, to Skarsgård. It's, mm. it's just, like interesting little acting detail. He he comes across as like warm and charming. Well, you also have like this like emotionless six foot three Swede just staring at you. Well, what's with his more, mouth he's, open. he starts pacing. Yeah, it's like a clump, clump, yeah. clump, clump. He's, <laughs> he's like doing. I remember my interview at the at our former job. It was the two bosses. The younger one doing the uh, doing the interview, while the older one, and you know exactly how her demeanor is, just staring at me while doing the interview. <laughs> it was so uncomfortable. Holy shit! Is that what your interview was like, or you just interviewed with one of them? I just interviewed with one of them. Okay, yeah. I did, I did not get the deuce. <laughs> like literally, like just hand on hip, like, like <laughs> just watching me. Yeah. Yikes! Yeah. The older one had a look about her too. <laughs> so yeah, she had a she had a look, she had a posture, she just had an energy. She had a she had a different energy, yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, he's he's questioning him, or she's questioning him, and he's just uh, he ends up asking. He's like, "So you would hang out with this young girl? Did you have sex with her?" She's like, "Well, she was fifteen when she came to you know come talk to me. She thought I was cool, you know, because I was an author." And he's like, "I didn't have sex with her. She was 15. And He's like, "Why not?" Mm-hmm. And I'm like, "Oh damn!" Like, where are you going with this, dude? Yeah, I, I don't know. Maybe he was trying to shock him, get him off guard, or something. But yeah, he he presses him on that point though, mm-hmm. like repeatedly. Well, I I I get where he's coming from. It's like you're friends with this like a grown man doesn't befriend a teenage girl for any other reason. Any other there's reason. no I I don't have a single friend that's a girl in high school now, and <laughs> nor do I want one. No. So it's I get where he's going. He's like I think he is trying to just throw him off, like. Yeah. yeah, he's like, have you have you seen a movie called Juno? <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's what happens in that movie? No. Oh. Uh, it They get close. They get close. Oh. It's Jason Bateman. You should watch... He's hard, not a good person. You should watch Hard Candy. That's... You will not like <laughs> Patrick Wilson after that. You know, Patrick Wilson is... That's one of his qualities as an actor, though. So he can, he can be so likable. We, we here at Catching Up on Cinema, we appreciate Patrick We do Wilson. like Patrick we Wilson. We do like Patrick Wilson. But... Patrick Wilson likes to break our hearts and be absolute slime balls, mm-hmm. like in about mm, 35-40% of his films. Yeah, he's good at that. He's really good at it. He's good at it. I like him. Yeah. But he really doesn't want me to like him. <laughs> you should watch Hard Candy. I watched, uh, I didn't finish it, but I watched some of that Girls show on HBO. Oh. And he has a whole episode 
devoted to him being both of those things. And it's actually pretty cool. Okay. It's a well it's a well put together piece of television. I think that's my next uh Pretty Little Liars, I think is the other one uh that I need to Is that watch. the one with the chick with the eyebrows? Yeah. Uh <laughs> that was the right tone to deliver yeah. that answer. <laughs> uh no, I think I think I think Pretty Little Liars, I think that's with Reese Witherspoon and Laura Dern. I think that's the name of the show. And then I can't the girl that's engaged to Aaron Rodgers, I can't think of her name. Uh yeah. I, I, I don't Divergence. Know, I only know the one that got kicked out because uh the, the, Olivia Munn, she go, she was like forced out of that family, as far as I understand. Yeah, you're, you're talking about the one who wanted to be Mary Jane in the Spider-Man movies, but like Hollywood didn't want her to be Mary Jane in the Spider-Man movies because of things like divergence. I'm not thinking it's not Pretty Little Liars. I'm thinking of a different show. Yeah, Pretty Little Liars, I think, is the one with the chick with the eyebrows. Yeah, that's the chick with the eyebrows. Yeah, that's yeah. not who I'm thinking of. <laughs> I'm thinking of a different show, and it's going to drive me insane. Okay, um, well, while you're looking that up... Big Little Lies, God damn it! Big Little Lies, big, not Pretty Little Lies, Big Little Lies. Big Little Lies. <laughs> okay, yeah, I don't think I know that one. And Shailene Woodley is who I'm thinking of. Yeah, The Fault in Our Stars. Yeah. The sad, sad girl movie. Like, yeah. The sad, sad cancer kid movie. movie. <laughs> yeah. Um, she had a moment. I don't know if that moment has continued, but... Um, oh, that was... I that, mean... That was, she was still doing it there. If you're with Aaron Rodgers, I guess you're doing okay. Yeah, yeah, maybe, she, maybe. she could be doing worse. She could be with, you know, like... Kirk Cousins. Uh. <laughs> Deep cut, not familiar, but I'll take your word for it. Yeah. But, um, at one point, Holt does mention that Tanya was abused. Um, she has bruises on her from people that were not him. Does she, though? Does she, though? Yeah. Does she, though? Yeah. Um, so, but he's kind of planting that it might have been her boyfriend that was beating her at the time. Yeah, and, and this is a case where a lot is being left unsaid between the two major characters, the two pivotal characters here, where it's like he's trying he's trying to like create a narrative here, mm-hmm. and... Angstrom, uh, Skarsgård's character, is just like, I think he's just too sleep-deprived to really yeah. <laughs> to pick up on what he's like. To, and at one point he gets physical with him, again, again yeah. in front of Hilda, by the way, and uh, he's just losing it. Mm-hmm. Um, so at this point, uh, he heads back to the hotel, and on has kittens. Yeah. She's got kittens. Cute little kittens. And I'm like, what are you going to do? What are you going to do with these cats, dude? I mean, you're not going to, like, throw it against the wall or something. <laughs> I mean, he just... <laughs> It's weird that he was able to like turn something out of this because he's just like always oh, thought they were gross little filthy little creatures. I'm like, ew, dude. Well, even the way he's holding it, it's like he he makes no attempt to like balance it or like cradle it in his hand correctly. He, she just places it on his hand and and it barely manages to hold on. So there's a, a, a callback to one of my of the Will Ferrell era, uh, Blades of Glory, which is the ice skating one, which I really liked. I saw that. I don't remember it at all. Very funny, but. Um, Pam Beasley from The Office. Uh, she's on a date with him, and uh, she's they're just sitting there having a conversation. And she's like, uh, "My parents died in a car accident because uh, they weren't wearing seatbelts, and my my older brother and sister hold it against me and use it to manipulate me." And he goes in for a kiss, and they have this really <laughs> awkward kiss. And she's like, "I guess I never thought of that as like a romantic story." So he, they're just sitting there petting cats, and then it just kind of turns. Like, they're, they're, their energies just kind of cross, and then we get a very uncomfortable make-out set. Like, it's 
it was gross, honestly. Like, watching him kiss this woman is really repulsive. Yeah, I have shitty kisses written down. Um, <clears throat> yeah, he, he, like, starts to get cozy with her. He goes in for a kiss. It's not pretty. Mm-mm. However, she reciprocates. Like, mm-hmm. she moves in closer, and then she gives him a, a cheek, like, a kiss back. Um, but <laughs> they start to, like, get hot and heavy against a wall of toilet paper. Yeah. Truly the sexiest of all canvases to, to paint think, a sexual tapestry against. You know that scene in Wolf of Wall Street where he's banging on the bed with all the money? Do you think somebody during uh, the pandemic, the first wave, was just like, they had hoarded all the toilet paper, so they're having like, <laughs> they've got toilet paper on the bed having sex? Oh, I mean, if you if you wanted to have, you know, the villagers set your house alight uh, at the height, like the early height of the pandemic, that's all you'd have to do is post a video of you and you your wall of TP. <laughs> it's the height of decadence, yes. <laughs> Truly. Um, I got to Costco first, y'all. Um, but... <laughs> Um, but yeah, we have a bunch of shitty kisses, and then he starts groping her. Dude, it, it, the only, the best way to describe it is just like, they're making out hard, and it's like he's going, like, it's almost like he is going to insert before anything else. It's like, dude, we are not there. Like, we, we gotta, we gotta work to that, and she's just like, get the fuck well, yeah, off it, of me. I mean, it, it doesn't look particularly warm out. She's probably wearing like three layers, but he, <laughs> but he's like, He's like reaching into the torso area and doing trying to do mouth stuff. It's like, buddy, that's we need a lot a, of fabric. I'm saying it, it, it was an awkward position because it's like, dude, you need a whatever you're trying to accomplish, <laughs> you need to be horizontal. Well, not only that, it's like there is an order of operations, <laughs> yes, sir. There is an order. You don't just jam it in. <laughs> I mean, you gotta undo your stuff. You gotta undo her stuff. Like, oh, like, well, yeah. I mean, you can't eat the mounds bar unless you haven't unwrapped it <laughs> yeah, first, dude. You're trying to eat the mounds bar with the wrapper on, man. You can't do that. You can't do that. There's... It doesn't go A to C. It goes A B C. What the fuck is wrong with you, dude? There's steps. Yeah, um, but I mean, the scene ends the only way it could, and that's with her. Saying "fuck off, creep," and then him cu- cupping okay. his head between his hands. Oh no, I did it again! <laughs> <laughs> fucking idiot! Well, fucking idiot! Oh, uh, I mean, uh, Scotty actually was much better about that. Oh yeah, yeah. no, no, he, he at least his mistake was quick, quick and understandable. Understandable, yeah. yeah. This one is like that math doesn't add up, sir. It's like I gave you a little smooch. You should you should have a uh, a nice uh, an evening with uh, PTA and just like give her let you should watch a Phantom Thread. It's a gorgeous film. It is. It's it's really nice. And then just transition into Boogie Nights. <laughs> I don't know, man. The temptation to start with Boogie Nights is very high. I feel like it, that's the one you end on. I mean, it is, it is more, well, it does get pretty dark, but, but it is... It ends on a high note. It, it does. It ends on a high it note. It ends on a very high note, yeah. in fact. But it has that chapter where it gets... It gets... <laughs> yeah, that tone <laughs> that plays just... for, for like 20 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> it is a dark segue. Well, no, we, we will watch Boogie Nights at the very least. Though. <clears throat> like, I've, I've told her about it. She's on, she's on board. Excellent. She's thing. excited for it. Uh, so, yeah, he gets aggressive. Now, finally, he's uh, trying to go to sleep with a sleep mask on. Um, and I don't know if it's working. No, he's hallucinating Vic, now a physical presence in the room. Yeah. Uh, retelling the same story about the hotel room. And uh, he is cry laughing. Yeah. Because he is going insane. It's interesting. It's uh, an interesting uh, little moment because this is the most we get out of him at any point. Yes, it is. Any other kind of emotion. 
Yeah, no, I'm really glad you pointed that out because it's absolutely true. Um, his character is so closed off. Like, he's stone-faced so so frequently throughout the film. This is, like, the one time he's, like, completely just shattered. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's in private. Um, but he uh, he and the other cops toss Eilert's house. And um, he doesn't even stick around for it. He's already heading down the stairs because he knows he put the fucking gun there. He put the gun in there, yeah. Yeah, so he's already leaving the building when we hear via dialogue, like, off screen. Like, oh, that's not mine. Like, I, that's not my gun. I didn't have that. I don't own a gun. Uh, so... The plan is in motion now that the gun has been discovered in Eilert's house. And uh, Hilda, again, uh, rears her ugly head to like make it known, like, I know you're up to something. Yeah. I don't exactly know what, but I'm on to you. Um, and I love when we go back to the station and we do some clever cinematography here where there's all these whip pans mm-hmm. uh, between all it's almost like sam raimi-esque <laughs> like mm-hmm. like between all the people speaking because we're doing like a briefing about like where to carry the investigation to next and what, what the reason i say this is clever is because uh it's unexpected um but what's more i don't know if you get this kind of tired but sometimes like when you turn your head quickly and you're sleepy like the whole world feel it feels like your the whole eye- world's coming with you. Yeah, it yeah. feel it feels like your eyes are moving and the world has to catch up to them or something. Like everything's out of sync and there's this blur effect that ha- comes with it. And yeah. It feels very evocative of that feeling, which fits his mental state. But um, he has a private meeting with John um, in a really cool location, by the way. It's like underneath a house or something. Like not like a stilt house or something, but it's like it's in like a hollowed out foundation of a building or something we can actually see the water yeah, i think it's the, i think it's stilts yeah i think that because of the water the the building is close to the water it's just yeah. like raised up yeah. it's a really cool location mm-hmm. it, it looks nice but um so this is where john says it was an accident yeah john makes it known that it was an accident the murder of tanya and uh it's interesting because this is where he makes it known that he sees tanya and that's how he like he he claims that the ghost of Tanya kind of pointed him towards Angstrom, it's mm. like as like an anchor point for their mutual investigations, and uh, I guess that's another thing they share in common is that their victims uh, continue to haunt them and they can't sleep. Both of them can't sleep. Yeah. So that's where the title of the movie comes from. Um, and this is where we have uh, a bad slap. This is terrible. It's a terrible slap. It doesn't look good, and the sound effect is like. Whoosh! <laughs> it's like oh man this we can't is... have it all yeah, criterion movie or not it's like sometimes you just don't have it but yeah. um yeah apparently they they just chose exactly the wrong audio file to, to plug into the editor for that bit but this is finally um this was where i had a question for you kyle um i may have been taking notes and i may have misinterpreted something that i maybe i, I saw something wrong again both of us did not sleep well <laughs> um prior to watching this film did Holt accuse Engstrom of being like quote close with Vic. I didn't catch that. I, I again, I, I could be completely wrong, but I seem because he has that reaction where he he's like going to push him into the water to like drown him, and then the ferry shows up and he stops himself. Engstrom stops himself. Um, I'd have to go back and rewatch that scene, but I it sounded almost like he was hinting at like a like a homosexual relationship between the two of them. I didn't catch that. I, again, I could be totally wrong. 
I mean, yeah, that would be an interesting thread. I mean, that that would be an interesting thread to throw in there, like like a relationship between. Well, and also it it lends more weight to that stupid fucking story about the hotel room because if you spent a lot of time with a person with that particular memory problem, mm-hmm. you would have heard that story over and over and over again. Mm-hmm. And it would carry that much more weight because their absence would carry that much more weight because you know that story frontwards and backwards even if the person telling it doesn't. So yeah. a seemingly innocuous story somehow carries meaning now. Yeah, I don't think that... You don't, you don't have to be in a relationship to have that kind yeah. of relationship. I, like I said, I could have been... Yeah, I, I could have been just like typing on my phone or something. I didn't catch it, but I mean, yeah. Anyway, point is, uh, Engstrom has thoughts about murdering John Holt right then and there, but yeah. he, he does not because there's a whole boatload of a literal boatload of witnesses. <laughs> uh, this is where I had anxiety, and it's him driving into this parking garage because it is way too fucking fast. Way too fucking. Fast. It's insane. <laughs> it's not okay. No, is he gonna stop? <laughs> I'm like, dude, you're gonna kill somebody. This is how people die in parking garages. <laughs> Um, yes, so Freya is with Hilda, so they found Freya, so nothing's happened to her, um, and this is, I mean, when he goes up to talk to him, like, he goes up to talk to Freya, and he's just kind of being a dick again, and she's just kind of, like, got her head down, like, just kind of looking down, and Hilda's kind of got, like, I fucking know about you, dude, like, (laughs) like, she told me what happened, you Hand on hip. Yeah, hand on hip. (laughs) And she's like, it's a good thing you're here, I actually want to talk to you about something. So, there were no fingerprints, there were no fingerprints found on the gun, as you know. He's like, yeah, I know. He's like, but there was one found on the barrel, and he's just like, okay. Like, (laughs) whatever. She's like, like, I want to get a search warrant to go to John Holt's place so that we can get his fingerprints. He's like, I'll go, I'll go execute. She's like, I already got it. And he's like, well, Ellie, let's just go over there then. Like he's, he was trying to take control and she's like, I've already taken care of it. Yeah. So she's very much ahead of him. And in fact, the very next scene, she demonstrates that further by beating him to John Holt's place. But mm-hmm. he, the whole time he's just like, I'm just so very tired, Steven. Yeah. <laughs> I am just so very tired. Steven. He's got spiders crawling up across <laughs> his face. Do we ever figure out that spider was real? Cause I feel like that spider was real. Oh, I think it had to be real. The movie's great. It's great. Watch it. Um, So yeah, so uh, Hilda's there, and now he's got to like he's got to get his plan together because like she's down there waiting. She hasn't seen him yet, and he's just like kind of backs away, (laughs) and he sees that John is like putting his stuff away. So he tries to call him to like, hey, get the fuck out. Yeah. Um, But they end up going up there, and he's just like. Ah, no one's here. <laughs> it's really quick. It's like crazy quick. Like, and she's just like, "We're going in." Like, she just they just open it, and maybe that's a thing over there. Like, you can't you can't just like barge in. Uh, I don't know, but it is comical how quickly he's like, "Well, no one's home." No one's home. <laughs> Tried. Uh, but they get in there, and uh, he's just like kind of like searching through there but uh he manages to see through the window that john has uh made it onto the the building like the next building and has gotten away and he's just kind of looking out the window <laughs> and you think that you think that uh hilda's on to him she's yeah. just like she doesn't even say anything about it he's just like yeah he's not here like yeah. it's not that big a deal and uh before they leave though he comes back to the photo yeah of john holt uh, where john holt is seen at a fishing village like with a, a recent prize, like well, a trophy. During that conversation where he said it was an accident, he's like, I know that I can, like, I know places where I can just go live. Like, yeah, well, he's a writer. He's like, I have, like, a retreat that I can go to and, yeah. and lay low until things blow over. So, yeah. uh, Skarsgård puts it together that's like, ah, fishing village. That seems 
isolated enough. Uh, so he knows exactly where he's going to go. And, uh, oh, wow, some of the time skips that happen here in this uh, fishing village sequence are really cool stuff. Like mm-hmm. when he his foot goes into the floor and then we don't see him pull himself up. It's just like next shot, there's a whip pan and he's somewhere else. Yeah, I think it's one of the coolest ones, yeah, because it's just... He he almost like he falls down. Then he looks over, and then you see like somebody from like the torso, like the the mid torso down, and you're like, "Oh, is that John?" Like, "Oh no, that's him." So it kind of takes you a second. Well, again, it's using that eye line to to keep you in his headspace because mm. he was in a lowered position. So when the camera pans oh, over, it's brilliant. just like, "Oh, like oh, from his own." He's seeing uh, yeah. himself from his own perspective because he lost so much time. Like he doesn't. Your he, mind, his, he wasn't conscious for the transition pulling himself out. Your brain plays a trick on you because, yeah, you were at, you're so used to being at his level. So, yeah, that would be where he would be. So that's how you would think, oh, man, that's fucking brilliant. It is. It, it's really brilliant and ballsy. Yeah. Like, like to just to conceive of that is brilliant, but to execute it and have, have me be able to digest it and understand it and appreciate it. I just, you, I just appreciate it way more because I didn't realize that, that that was exactly what happened. You, you got to be really fucking talented. Nice. So, um, sometimes you don't have to, you know, make a movie every five minutes to, to be a really, really talented yeah. guy. Like, um, they should put this in the criteria. Uh, yeah, maybe they should. <laughs> <laughs> that seems like a good place for it. Um, but uh, John Holt is discovered. So uh, Skarsgård does track him down at this fishing village, which is a really awesome location, by the way. It looks absolutely incredible. Yeah. Um, looks good in the Nolan version. Not not as impressive. Nowhere near as impressive. The the original Norwegian version, this place is just really cool. It's a really awesome find. Yeah. Um, and uh, it's here where I think John Holt admits that he did sleep with Tanya one time. One time. Yeah, there was an attempt made. Yeah. And it didn't work out so well. Um, and it, is this where he talks about her laughing? Yeah. She was just laughing at me. Because I think it's the same thing. He's like, I got a boner. <laughs> yeah. I, I will admit, um, this movie's better. But the Nolan version... With Robin Williams. Yeah. Credit to Robin Williams. Because he's given more dialogue. Because he's given more screen time. These details, like him actually verbalizing the emotionality and the intent behind how the how the accidental it it is thought of as an accident um the the murder of tanya he really does give a good performance Mm -hmm. um and he's just given more material to work with than the john holt character Mm -hmm. so i do give it on the whole this is the more like more satisfying product Mm -hmm. but i do have to credit mostly that performance it's it's really good um and uh, we get some Norwegian mafia kicks. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so John Holt is uh, brandishing a double-barreled shotgun. Um, and so he's holding Skarsgård at, at gunpoint here. And Skarsgård, I don't know if it, it's a combination of being sleep-deprived and maybe a little crazy or maybe just not a good person. He's just like, you know what? Fuck, fuck it. it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, I'm not even going to try to be scientific about this. I was going to say, you even see the fuck it moment in his brain. He's just like, all right. Yeah, <laughs> you just half expect like a Han Solo-esque, just like, well, whatever. Right. <laughs> it's like, okay. And so, yeah, he just kicks the shotgun away, and then uh, he launches himself at him. So the two, these two 
older gentlemen start scrapping, and uh, John Holt gets the better of him, though. And like I said, Norwegian Mafia kicks. I think John Holt's a little stockier. He, he's a little beefier. I mean, uh, still in Skarsgård, 6'3", but he's, I mean, probably not really athletic. Like, he doesn't mm. seem to... He doesn't have great posture, yeah. Yeah, he drinks a lot of booze and probably eats a lot of pickled fish. You know? <laughs> <laughs> he probably does not smell great. Just as kind of a person, <laughs> as, a person. <laughs> as, as kind of person as he is, he probably does, he carries an aura. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, John Holt gets the better of him, and he's just stomping a mud hole on his ass, very Steve Austin esque. Um, and again, we get some of these really cool time skips as. It's not really a chase or anything, but as he's trying to pursue John Holt through here, like people are stepping in and out of frames at all the wrong angles. It's it's very disorienting. Um, and Kyle, do you want to let the folks at home know how this exciting chase concludes? Yeah, uh, John Holt trips and hits his head and falls into the water, <laughs> and Stone Skarsgård just kind of walks over to where he's at and sees him, and he's just like floating in the water, and then he just. I think he just kind of passes out, and I think he just gets knocked out and drowns. That's what I'm assuming. Yeah. 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 That's how he meets his end. Yeah, that's the thrilling conclusion of, of the John Holt murder. Well, like, like we said, like, his thread is, like, it is, he's not super important. Like, it, no. he is part of the narrative, but, like, getting him isn't really that big a deal. No, he's an interesting plot device in that he allows us to have this this really fascinating parallel dynamic between... You know, the, the homicide detective and the assumed murderer basically mirroring each other's actions, trying to accomplish the same goal. Like mm. that's, that's something that is not often explored in film or storytelling. So that's interesting. But for the most part, he's just there as a tool uh, to allow us to explore Stellan Skarsgård character from different angles. Mm-hmm. And it's like, well, he's served his purpose. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> But um, obviously the, the Nolan version differs radically here. Like, this is where they diverge pretty dramatically. And there's a big shootout at the end of that one, because, again, mm. American. It's America. Yeah, So, but we, I will say that that movie gave me a wonderful gift. Uh, I've, I've said this multiple times on the podcast. I am a sucker for seeing people who don't do action do action. Mm. And I got to see... I, I can go to my grave saying I have seen Al Pacino and Robin Williams punch each other <laughs> oh wow oh yeah they get physical it's pretty great <laughs> i mean it's not but but the novelty of seeing novelty yeah yeah the novelty of seeing a generally regarded as a comedic actor and the four foot nine al pacino <laughs> oh between the yeah again between the two of them there's not a lot of height there yeah but hearing robin williams like hearing him make like angry exertion noises is not something I think I've heard before. Where he's going, it, it, it'd be kind of creepy to hear. It's it. weird. Yeah, it doesn't sound right because you. It's just like it doesn't compute. But I think that where he was at, like how old he was when that came out, like he fits that. Like he's not like a not a bad looking dude, but he's just not like a a good looking guy. So it kind of makes sense. Like if he was like this weird older short guy who's kind of friends with her and then he has like this weird manic energy well and, and he has the rob he has the robin williams factor he has that light in his eyes that like he he does he carries an energy to him that even when he's not being manic you know transforming into a different person every two seconds he still carries a, a brightness to him mm-hmm. it's it's it, it it draws you in yeah there's something about him I know. We miss him. We miss him. We do miss him. Yeah. We do miss him. Yeah. But anyway, uh, yeah, John Holt is is no more. 
So, <laughs> so this was a, a very strange uh, sequence for me. So he goes into this house, and there's like, he's just turning the place over. It's abandoned. It's like he said, it's in this fishing village, and most of these things are abandoned. And he's just like throwing everything. There seemed to be a lot of coloring books. Did you notice that? A lot of board games and yeah. things for like a child. Yeah, uh, which I thought was strange. And he's just like throwing the place apart, and then. Uh, in the beginning, we didn't mention this, but he does take her clothes, and there's some blood on the clothes, and he like puts it up on a shelf, and still, Skarsgård finds the, the blood and everything, and we get the shot where he's looking at it, and then he kind of looks up, and then there's a a girl laying on a couch in the other room. Did wh- who was that? What that was, was Tanya? That was Tanya. Yeah. Okay, okay, I couldn't tell. I couldn't see who it well, was. Well, I mean, we don't really see Tanya other than the grimy footage of her death. I didn't know if this was him, like picturing Tanya there or if this was what's her face uh Freya if that was Freya I would have recognized Freya (laughs) or if it was just some other girl like he was gonna do it to it like he just had like another young girl that he had Mm. um because shortly after that I think she's missing but then like the goofy doofy detective it's it's really cool actually because it's a combination of all the techniques we've seen so far like all the editing tricks so we we've had we have a hallucination combined with uh, a time skip. Mm-hmm. So he looks up. He, I think he gives. A, I think he gives. He, a, smell, he, he smells. He sniffs it. the. Tr- come on, buddy. Fucking creepy. Like he's just. The checklist is yeah. just completely full at this point. But he, he does look up, and the camera like goes over his shoulder, and we see a young woman laying on a couch. And then the camera starts to pan over a little bit, and Officer Doofy is looking in the window and like knocking on it. Yeah. And then the camera continues to rotate around, and we see a whole bunch of officers, Mm -hmm. and the room is dressed in such a way that it's like a crime scene investigation. Yeah. And then as the rotation completes, Skarsgård is, like, still standing in the room, and we see that the girl's gone. Mm -hmm. So what we just witnessed was him hallucinating the presence of a dead girl, Mm -hmm. and then we also witnessed, without a single cut... um, enough time passing while while he remained there for all the other officers to show up mm-hmm. so any number of hours could have passed between like over the course of that one rotation of the camera it's really cool mm-hmm. uh, very efficient as well um and all all it involved really was just having a girl get up off a couch and step below the frame yeah. <laughs> like, like that's all you need to do in order to accomplish that particular trick um and then we head to the wrap-up uh, so we have a meeting with the chief, with the Norwegian police chief of that district, and uh, he's just like patting Engstrom on the back. He's just like, "You did it so good. You're we're so you're, glad you came down yeah, here. You, you were the right man for the job. I am so glad you and no one else came down here. You were a super cop, man." <laughs> Hilda's all just judgy, looking at him like she's not buying this shit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, she's making faces. She's just like, "This is some bullshit." And. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Engstrom too like we've spent enough time with him here that it's like we can see like he's he's nodding his head but he doesn't feel good about any of this in fact there's this like he makes a very lame attempt to like lessen the stress being placed on John Holt's character where like they say like oh he was a monster he probably you know probably had plans to do it again or something he's like it wasn't that bad yeah it's like I think it may have been an accident they're like no it was totally a murder he's like yeah okay <laughs> I tried. I'm tired. <laughs> yeah. And then uh, we have Skarsgård back at his hotel packing up, and uh, he puts his gun into the, the briefcase, and he covers it up with clothes. Mm-hmm. And Hilda comes 
yeah. over to visit. Yeah. yeah, Hilda comes and she's like, "Hey, so uh, I'm doing some digging. Uh, you may have noticed. Uh, <laughs> like, just uh, just uh, so you know, um, she she pulls out a, a shell casing mm-hmm. uh, that um, she mentions the she mentions that she found a shell casing at the site of Vic's murder, so in the fog bank, and she's like." Oh, by the way, it was this particular type of shell casing. And without her probing further, he actually responds like, yeah, that's standard issue for a Swedish mm-hmm. officer's handgun. Yeah. It's like, yeah, I think you're right. Yeah. <laughs> and she actually pulls out the shell casing. And without any more words, she just places it on the table and leaves. Yeah. So she knows. He knows she knows. But, but that's it. But that's it. Yeah. She's like, you... you 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 got some shit to work out. <laughs> you got your own problems, <laughs> and you know that's a, another major divergence from this and the American one, where there's a lot of chit chat, there's a lot of yapping about this particular subject, and it, it ties into the conclusion of that film. But it's just a, a really powerful display of subtlety. Um, just having her pull out the prop, place it on the table, and just make it known, like I know. But you know, it's it, I'm I'm not going to pursue it further because you got some shit to work out. Um, and then the the final shot of the movie is a Skarsgård driving through the same tunnel that they they went into um, to enter the town. And holy shit, this last frame—it's a freeze frame. It's really creepy looking. Mm-hmm. So basically, we, we get to a part of the tunnel where it, like it starts to get dark, but they somehow treated the film or like doctored like the color grading in such a way that he's shrouded in darkness driving the vehicle but his eyes like the whites and the irises of his eyes are very bright Mm -hmm. so it's just these like bright eyes and darkness it's really creepy looking and then we get some sort of like pop song or something playing over the credits yeah yeah, that was uh insomnia from a director eric Goldberg. Goldberg. I probably butchered that, but um, yeah, that was from 1997. It is part of the Criterion Collection, and I would say it definitely belongs there. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's an excellent film, and for what it's worth, like I've mostly been negging the the Nolan version. I like I said up top, but I, I do think it's a fine film on its own right. It probably benefits from only watching that version, <laughs> but. But I do think this is probably the superior version for sure. But uh, closing thoughts, Kyle, you got any? No. Um, I think we pretty much covered everything. It, it's it's a good movie. You should check it out. It's not very long. 96 minutes. I mean. I know. That was unexpected. But yeah. I appreciate it. It came in handy this time around. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, that was uh, Insomnia from 1997 from Norway. Uh, directed by Eric Skoldberg. Um, but in the meantime, folks at home, if you'd like to catch up on any of our other uh, Catching Up on Cinema content, you can find all of that located on our website at catchinguponcinema.com. Uh, we are available on the social medias as well, on the Instagram at Catching Up on Cinema, as well as the Twitter at Catching Cinema. So feel free to hit me up at either of those. Uh, and the podcast is available on every platform you can imagine, including Cephalopod. So fucking Google it. Mm-hmm. That being said, thank you so much for listening, and we will catch you next time. Mm-hmm.